Welcome to another episode of the Eagles Water Cooler. I'm joined tonight by Andrew and Mike. We are going to be reviewing the Eagles' loss to the Steelers, 38-29, to and also uh, looking ahead to this Sunday's matchup against the Baltimore Ravens, the Eagles hosting uh, the Ravens at 1 o'clock. Fellas, how are we feeling tonight? Not bad. Getting to the end of the week here. A tough game last week and an even tougher one next week that we'll get into. But Oh, man, he's predicting the future already. Yeah, no, feeling, feeling good. Um, it's been a long week. Looking forward to the weekend. Uh, hopefully the Eagles can turn it around because it's uh, it's not, not too fun to be a fan right now. It is tough, and the weeks definitely feel a lot longer after a loss. Um, but let's get into it. So the Eagles uh, drop one out in Pittsburgh, 38-29, to to a really good Steelers team, uh, truth be told. But from my perspective, still uh, a, a beatable team. And I think the Eagles could have won that game had things, you know, gone a little bit differently when it was about, I guess, whenever the score was 31, 14, I forget what the point was in the game, but um, I definitely thought the Eagles were about to just get completely blown out and uh, they started to fight a little bit. And it was the first time I'd seen that kind of effort from them a um, little bit of it in San Francisco, but definitely was present in this game against the Steelers. So let's begin with talking about Carson Wentz uh, who did throw two picks uh, remain consistent uh, and having a, a turnover in every game so far this year, a couple of questionable throws into the ground. Uh, but I thought for the most part, he showed confidence. Uh, he was elusive when he needed to be. Uh, he made sort of gutsy throws um, to newer receivers. And we'll touch on one of those coming up, but all in all, I thought he really balled out. I thought this was his best game of 2020. Um, and unfortunately did not result in a, in a win, but I thought his play uh, was the best sort of uh, from uh, throughout the game, I should say. Um, I think this uh, budding connection he has with Travis Fulgham, who we're going to discuss in a little while here, um, he was absolutely throwing up some some sort of trust throws. And we were exploring right before the podcast, how is it that a player that has been around since training camp, but that is relatively new to Wentz, how do they seem to strike up such a, a good rapport so early um, without that much uh, time to get reps in? But um, in terms of Carson, has, has he sort of restored your confidence as a fan after both the performances in San Francisco as well as in Pittsburgh? What are your guys' thoughts? I'll bring you in on this. Uh, yeah, Chris. So I look at that question as, do you have confidence in Wentz to lead your team to victory week in and, uh, and week out? Um, and my answer is no. Um, he finally played like someone that resembles a good quarterback last week. He, he seems to be slowly but surely getting back to, um, you know, some resemblance of, of who he was. But um, I feel like we shouldn't even be in this position where we're, you know, pleased or happy with two picks and a 75 QBR. Um, like, what is the bar that we that we're. Um, comparing him to what are we measuring him against is it 2017 MVP Carson is it last year's Carson is it week to week uh, Carson I, I, I don't know um, 
against the Steelers, he did some things, as you mentioned. Uh, he, he looked a little bit more poised. Um, and, you, and you hope that he's evolved from the Rams Carson or the Bengals Carson. Um, but his numbers were still not stellar. Uh, I was looking back at the, the other quarterbacks um, that faced the Steelers so far this year. And you've got guys like uh, Danny Jones with the Giants. Two, uh, threw for 279 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, Driscoll from the Broncos, 256 yards, two touchdowns, and interception. And you have Carson, 258 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Does being close to Danny Jones and, and Driscoll give you confidence? Not me. Um, I, I, I think, and you, you mentioned his elusiveness, and I think he has and always has uh, above average athleticism. Um, he made some really good throws, mostly to Fulgham, confident throws. Um, the one elusive uh, move that he made, this was, uh, was a TJ Watt um, who got a, did a spin. Pancaked. Yeah. Is that the one where he got pancaked by Lane Johnson? Oh, no. I'm thinking that might have been on the goal line. But uh, anyway, okay. this was somebody on the end, I think, spun off of Mylata, was coming to Carson's backside. And somehow Carson knew it, ducked under, perfectly timing um, the sack attempt, scrambled, and then I think picked up the first down. I think it was a third down. So, yes, Carson. I remember that play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so Carson's athleticism, I don't think it really has ever been in question. Um, but what I, I think he is in the bottom in terms of intelligence. I don't think he knows how to read defenses. And I think the offense is so watered down to compensate for that. I think he rarely goes through progression. I think you saw it a little bit more against the Steelers. I will, I will give you that. But I don't think it's, it's often enough. And I think the majority of the time he has one guy um, that he wants to throw to on any given play, if it's a pass play, and if that guy's not open, he does not have a second option. He does not then go, okay, I've got a safety valve. I've got my Ertz. I've got my Miles. And, you know, he doesn't have a check down. I think that's where you then see him panicking in, in the pocket. So, um you know, back to the confidence level, he played better last week, but, but no, I, I, you know, my confidence is, is really still not there with Carson. Yeah. And as you're thinking there real quick, uh, but Mike, before we go to you, is you're thinking there, Andrew, that uh, he had sort of the athleticism pre uh, injury, pre um, ACL, MCL tear back issues before all that, he had the athleticism that even though he couldn't uh, possibly couldn't be, uh, you know, reading defenses accurately, that he was able to sort of elude, uh, everything with his athleticism and that's pretty that's pretty significant in terms of as athleticism but from a from a standpoint of a viewer I have to say it's it's pretty shocking because I think part of what we saw the first year was an intelligent player and part of that intelligence from a quarterback is reading the defense so it's very interesting I'm sorry Mike go ahead yeah no that's a that's a really good point if you just do an eye test between Carson Wentz and Russell um uh, sorry Russell Russell Wilson um, you see two, you, you know, you see guys who get into trouble where the pocket collapses around them and Carson's pocket awareness just isn't there. When you, when you watch Russell Wilson, the pocket collapses and he's able to spin and move to the part of the field where there aren't players to extend the play. And Carson just has a bad feel for that. It looks like maybe he used to have it, um, and, and it's gone. And, and maybe that's just an, an IQ thing, an awareness thing. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, in terms of positives, I think this was a good step in the right direction for Carson. Um, 
there there was a there was a drive in the second half where I thought the game was over and we were about to get blown out and Carson just stepped up and he made some big throws to um, get us back in the game. That's a really positive step. He did throw two interceptions. One of them was more of a punt at the end of the game where he was just kind of lofting them up. Um, so he really only threw one, one pick. Um, we can call that progress. Uh, I, you know, is he capable of putting the team on his back right now and winning games? Not sure. But if you said to me, if we have a solid defense, do you feel good about Carson um, being able to win games? Based off what he did against the Steelers, you know, it's, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, and I think the sort of imposition of this question is, has he restored your confidence compared to what? And Andrew kind of brought that up too. Um, I think I'm seeing Carson a more confident player um, in these last two games. As a fan, I, I do not feel a sense of confidence right now in Carson. Um, and it's from a couple standpoints. The pocket stuff that both of you brought up is really interesting. Uh, to me, it's, it's the tendency to just have these – wild inaccuracies throughout the game on what seems like a routine throw to an open receiver. Um, that's really troubling, but both of you bring that up. And I, I can remember times where, you know, he's pulling these sort of Houdini acts escaping from certain sacks or, you know, tackles for loss and winds up, you know, kind of pulling something out and maybe injuries have kind of taken their toll that way. But I think he is a more confident player as a fan. It's, it's very difficult uh, drive by drive, play by play to, to feel confident in Carson Wentz. Uh, however, when I saw him most confident in this loss to the Steelers was when he was throwing the ball to Travis Fulgham. Uh, Fulgham, just to touch on him as a player a little bit. Um, so in this game, he had uh, 10 receptions with 152 yards and a touchdown. Um, he had the highest wide receiver uh, score uh, or rating on pro football focus in week five in all of the NFL. Um, he has the uh, highest wide receiver PFF score for an Eagle since Deshaun's performance in 2010 week 14 versus the Cowboys. And he's the first Eagle with 10 plus receptions and 150 plus yards in a game since Macklin, uh, Jeremy Macklin in 2014. So, uh, you know, it leads me to a question uh, that I think I know the answer to from both of you, but uh, to me as a fan, I, it had been so long since I saw an Eagles wide receiver dominate for a period of a game that they still wound up losing, but just really dominate. I mean, really give the defense fits where here's the thing about Fulgham and, and then I'm going to open it up at that, at a certain point in the game, everybody knew the ball was going to Fulgham and he still caught it. He was still winning on his routes. That is so compelling for me. And we're going to touch on JJ later, but by JJ Fulgham is everything you wanted JJ to be. He really is. He's the exact type of possession receiver. He happens to have a little bit more speed and can play on the outside, but he's that big body. He's, he's confident. He wins. Um, he catches kind of like an old school receiver. He's not afraid to catch away from his body and pull it in. Um, this is a, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, no, I just kind of wanted to add that he was continually gone to throughout the course of the game over the course of the four quarters. But I thought a lot of the throws were, tight coverage and the ball was like on the money it wasn't like Fulgham was getting insane separation um so as much as the praise goes to Fulgham I also think you have to highlight Carson's ability to put the ball on the spot and that you know it, it was it took both of them to get that performance um those statistics 100 
hundred percent. And this conversation started around confidence. And I think I saw Carson at his most confident when he was throwing the ball to Travis Fulgham. So Fulgham, a walk on at old dominion, um, which is really more, I think associated with bas college basketball than it is football. Um, but walks onto the team, um, is able to, uh, find success there, uh, was drafted late, uh, by the lions, I believe, uh, was on different practice squads, sort of bounces around, finds his way here. Um, and, and really has sort of an epic highlight play in the game against, uh, the 49ers, uh, to win it for the Eagles, their first one of the year, and then goes off this past Sunday. And it leads me to the question, are you buying Travis Fulgham as a, as a legitimate wide receiver? I mean, this is certainly sort of an explosive period he's having, but there's something about this guy. Uh, if it can stick, if it can be consistent, it's a small sample size, but I think you got to keep this guy around because of how confident he makes Wentz. And I agree with Mike that it's, it, it takes two to really make a reception happen. So um, what do you guys think there? To me, they're going to have to make some decisions about wide receiver eventually. And I think Fulgham should be included. So I'll open it up that way. Andrew. Yeah, no, that's a good point because uh, you know, Deshaun's getting healthier. Alshon's getting healthier. Rager's, you know, not too far behind them. So then, you know, then where does it go? Then you've got Greg Ward still there. Um, Hightower is probably the odd man out for sure. But um, is Fulgham still your number one? I mean, right now he is. So do you just keep that relationship going? Because that's what's working best for Carson, kind of best for the offense. Um, I think there's, you know, definitely some some truth to that. I think the Ravens game, um, which we'll, we'll get into later, will be a really big test for Fulgham or um, a, a good measuring stick. We saw what he could, you know, he kind of had a semi-breakout against the 49ers, especially with that, that touchdown catch. A dominant performance uh, against the Steelers. Pretty solid cornerbacks, but smaller cornerbacks. Um, he is physical, and he was, you know, he he's a great route runner, too. I, I, I do think he's probably right now the best route runner um, in the wide receiving core. But the Ravens cornerbacks um, are a bit more physical. So it'll be interesting to see how he matches up with just a different style. Um, but there's no doubt that, that he has been playing strong, playing well, playing confident. That's a, I'll go back to it. You guys keep mentioning it, but Carson absolutely looks his, his best throwing the Fulgham and whether it's in coverage or whether Fulgham does get that moment of separation, the a, the poise in the pocket from Carson and B just the one, two, three step and, he threw one perfectly to Fulgham right over the middle, like beautiful, beautiful pass. Um, so yeah, for some reason they have a great rapport. Uh, it would be um, a disservice, I think, to both of them to uh, to limit that just because Deshaun's back or Alshon's back. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's 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 a fun storyline in in what has been a very dark, dark season. So I I only hope that he he continues to 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 grow and you know maybe he's a steal maybe he's an absolute steal yeah Andrew I, I agree with everything you said and I guess the only other thing I'll add is um it's great and you have to keep going with it see where it goes it you know it's still it's two games so let's see where it ends up but you you, you have to continue to go back to him um because of how reliable he's been in the past two games yeah, and I just real quick before I pass it back to to Chris here, because um, we did we did uh, bring up uh, JJ, um, but 
this and this is from uh, Stat Matt, who can't join us tonight, but he provided uh, some some information. Uh, JJ in 20 games has 11 catches for 206 yards and a touchdown. Fulgham in two games has accounted for 12 catches, 209 yards, and two touchdowns. So, see ya, JJ. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. I, I think um, I'm going to go as far as to say I I think we can expect sort of a regression to some kind of a mean just because that's such a such a dynamic performance he had against the Steelers. But I think maybe as fans, what we need to watch, I think we're all saying, yes, Fulgham seems like a legit receiver, but I think what we need to watch is sort of the consistency of his performance. And then also sort of the confidence that Wentz has, if that remains there, and we're seeing that from him when he, when he's throwing the ball to Fulgham and then you add Alshon Jeffrey, Jalen Rager, Deshaun Jackson to that mix. Um, Fulgham has to be one of those guys that you consider. So um, I just want to touch on a couple other uh, offensive points here. Greg Ward, dude just does his job. Uh, Wentz throws him that lollipop in the end zone right over um, Joe Hayden. Uh, they ran that exact same play last year uh, against the Redskins to win, if you remember, in the back that back corner of the end zone where he caught the ball. And then he does the Antonio Brown uh, touchdown. I don't know if you guys saw that during the game, but um, I think he'll be one of those sort of, we were asking these same questions about Greg Ward at some point last year that we're asking about Travis Fulgham and he's become a part of this team. He serves a role and the Eagles are sort of lacking in identity because the roles are unclear and injury has sort of riddled them. But let's talk a little bit about the line. Um, Jordan Mailata now started against the, the 49ers and, and started against the Steelers had uh, probably a little bit more trouble against the Steelers, a particular one play against Bud Dupree that I can remember where he was beat, but uh, I'm seeing a lot of really good stuff from him. I, I find myself really watching him and, and O-line is one of those things that I find myself only watching on replay, but I'm trying to watch it live and just his size is so much to get around. Um, I think the Eagles are going to be in a little bit of a dilemma looking at their former first round pick Andre Dillard, as well as Jason Peters, who they went and paid a little bit extra money to to slide over. Um, again, we're talking about a lot of small sample sizes tonight, but how are you feeling about my lot? If my lot is our left tackle moving forward, are you, are you go for that? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's a fun story. We've kind of been riding my for the past couple seasons now, you know, he came to us uh, from Australia. He's a rugby player um, is, you know, it, it's nice to see him have success right now. Um, and it was also a nice story that I, that I read recently that he his family isn't able to come watch him play because of uh covid restrictions they're stuck in australia um but you know you, you kind of have to pull for this guy and i guess the other the other positive that i'll say is this reflects somewhat well on on howie and the front office if you take our line from last year and you look at what our line is right now the acquisitions that he made in this past offseason, getting Jack Driscoll in, um, you know, Mylotta, we already had him, but now he seems to be coming into his own. This lot, you know, the, the fact that the offense is able to operate right now like it is, is a big testament to Howie filling those roles. Now, I'm all for riding Howie for his mistakes, but, you know, I, I feel like credit is due for maybe piecemealing a line that can compete. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a fair point um, and a positive look at Howie, which is often uh, these days uh, <laughs> a, 
uh, a negative storyline, but it's hard to come by. Yeah. 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 Um, but I would agree. I mean, especially with all the injuries, um, and it's been a couple of years, actually. Um, we've been able to, to pretty much piece together a pretty competitive um, and above average offensive line, no matter who's in there. So um, yes, credit to Howie for bringing some guys in credit the coaches and, and the game plan there for, for um, allowing those guys to succeed. But back to my lots real quick. This guy's 23 years old. He's still super young. Um, he was a project. I don't really love drafting projects. We, we've kind of done that before with a lot of failure. Um, the fireman, uh, Danny Watkins comes to mind. Um, we, we also did that in the third round of this draft with Davion Taylor. He's a project um, at linebacker. Um, but this one seems to be working out. And to be honest, he has played well enough and has shown enough, I think, in, in the couple games that he has started to remain the starting left tackle, even if um, Peters comes back healthy. I think you need to continue um, with my latte in the starting position. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'll put it on this. I agree with you, Andrew. And I think uh, I've seen more from my in these two games than I have uh, from Andre Dillard all the times that I've seen him play, which hasn't again been a big sample size. I almost feel like that's the theme of the night, but yeah. at the same time, there's a sort of confidence level that I feel again, like I, like I feel watching Travis Fulgham and, and Carson Wentz link up. Uh, my is going to make, you know, uh, is going to miss a, a rush here or there, but his consistency, a lot of it just based on his massive size uh, and him being able to just create a wall between uh, usually the team's the opposing defense's best pass rusher and Wentz. Um, and part of this confidence I'm seeing from Wentz, I mean, the two games we've seen him this way are the two games my lot of started. Mm. So at, at the blind spot. Okay. So, I mean, we can take that for what it is, but I think it's interesting as fans that we're sort of able to see this and, and we're sort of duly uh, damning Howie in a way because Dillard, I don't think was the guy, no matter what, um, but Mylotta has stepped in and, uh, and to me, done more than Dillard has. And, and certainly Jason Peters, what little we saw of him this year, was not even a, a shadow of, of who he used to be as uh, sort of a, a force on the offensive line. Moving forward with the offense a little bit to spin it ahead, Miles Sanders had a uh, highlight run, 74-yarder, uh, mostly created on his own. If you watch that uh, play again, uh, a lot of that work he's doing now, the Steelers were bringing a blitz. So good on Carson for checking the play to a run. Um, but Miles really did a lot of that himself. And, and it was clinical in terms of what you were hoping to see out of him from college sort of translating over to the NFL. It was exciting to watch. Uh, what was not was the fact that after that, the run game pretty much evaporated and that the presence of the run game, if Miles is not able to be successful, and maybe this is partially, you know, a new and shuffling offensive line that's contributing to the, the problems that the run game is having, but Boston Scott really not being a factor, Corey Clement not being a factor. Um, I'm to a point now where the run game is, is kind of frustrating because it seems very boomer bust and it seems really based around miles. And it seems like when the Eagles are behind, which they have been most of 2020 um, that the run game sort of disappears and, and Doug throws the ball a lot. So uh, a lot to be figured out there. But let's talk a little bit about some of the bad. That was that was some of the good out of the game we were hoping, but some of the bad uh, has to include, I'll start with the third and eight um, play, which was a, a touchdown throw to Chase Claypool, who had a, a complete breakout day against 
uh, the Eagles. We, we talked about him on the podcast prior, but um, Schwartz really has to make some kind of a move there. Um, his claim was that, you know, Ben sort of read the play and, and quick snapped the ball and, um, and threw it to Claypool. I, I really think that it was evident that Nate, Jerry Barry Gary was lined up over top of uh, Chase Claypool and was going to be uh, charged with trying to make this play. And I encourage you both to watch the replay of that. It is embarrassing. It is like it, you're tough, literally watching him watch, fall down. I mean, he's it's just like two players who are on completely different planes. So there's a lot of negativity around Philadelphia surrounding Jim Schwartz um, that I personally do not share. I think the defense has shown up more often than not. But there is a sort of rigidity that I'm starting to sort of resent uh, in him. And I wonder uh, if there will be changes made this year. And, and I'll say this, if he's willing to start to play some of these young players, um, especially at the linebacker position, a Sean Bradley at a temple or Davion Taylor, who Andrew mentioned, who is a, pro- a project, but at this point in the year with this record, let the project project, you know, let them work. Um, are you ready to bail on Jim Schwartz at this point? Are you, are you in a position where when you're watching him, you're most frustrated with him? I, after the games, I, there are moments where I feel it, but I, I'm not ready to bail on the guy. Andrew. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I'd like to think that he's doing the best that he can with um, what seems like a lack of talent, clearly in the linebacker linebacker position, um, a lot of youth in the secondary um, but his philosophy and style really hasn't changed over the years. We continue to have the same frustrations with him um, in terms of, you know, this soft zone approach, this off coverage. It, it, it At times it's a, oh, we bend, but we don't break because we then hold him to a field goal. But we're, we seem to be bending and breaking all at once. And uh, you know, it, it seems like we can only succeed unless our defensive line succeeds. And that's a problem. And, uh, you know, is it, is it Schwartz? I don't, again, I don't know. This is, you can hear the frustration in my voice, but um, I think he does have to own some responsibility. And I know with, you know, this week, especially with some of the, um, Oh, and let me let me plug Matt here real quick. Uh, it's not Nate, Jerry, 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 Barry, Gary. It's Nathan Geriatric. <laughs> I like that because this guy can barely move. So I got. He looked like that. He looked very stiff as he yeah. was falling over uh, after Chase Claypool. Yeah, but I, I think the. Um, I'll just go back to one of the. It's tough. I think it's this this whole frustration with Schwartz and the secondary and the D is also compounded by seeing. Russell Douglas and Sidney Jones, who you released at the same time uh, just a few months ago, um, performing very well. And is that because they just remarkably got more talented? Or is Sidney starting right now? Yeah, I think for Jacksonville. If not, if not, he made a. I thought he was on the practice. Two PBUs and a pick or something like that. He had a really good day this past. Sunday. And it was very damning after the Eagles lost, you know, these, exactly. these things always seem to be compounding like Andrew said. Exactly. Right. It's like when they cut in with Nick Foles throwing the touchdown passes, we were. Aguilar's <laughs> doing great for the Raiders, you know? Yeah. 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 Is, so is I, the MC still open, Mike? No, I'm sure they're not going to let him go at this point. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Schwartzy, uh, again, not ready do, to bail, but frustrated. 
frustrated. We continue to have the same frustrations. We continue to see the same issues with him. So um, it, are we in a situation soon where we were with Andy Reid while not in the same light, but like he has been successful, but maybe it's just time for him to go. We maybe we need a, a change of style of strategy because it's more recently not working. And yeah. what better litmus test than this upcoming weekend against the Ravens? Go ahead, Mike. That's true. I don't know. I don't know what it was in particular, but for some reason, this past uh, game against the Steelers, it just seemed to be, it hit me all of a sudden that Schwartz is not working anymore. And I don't know It's if it's be- become too predictable. Uh, the Eagles have a really solid defensive line. Now, when the game started first quarter, you see the defensive line go out for their first series. These guys are all over the place but they didn't get to the quarterback and first down happens. Now they get a little gas. And once that happens, you need the secondary to step up, but the Eagles just simply don't have enough players uh, in the secondary to run the type of defense Schwartz wants to. And it is frustrating. And I don't know what it was, but this week I was like, I think I'm done with this. Um, We'll see what happens. Well, I think that's a, I think that's kind of a dividing line and who knows what's going to happen this weekend. And maybe you'll have an even more intense sense of that Mike, next week um, following this upcoming game against the Ravens, where Schwartz's defense is going to, and his ability to scheme and create blitzes and things like that is going to be really put to the test. But I'm in the same camp, as I mentioned at the head, I'm frustrated, um, but mostly at the lack of talent. Um, I, I'm not sure the scheme is, bad per se uh but i just think it is rigid and and it does rely on a certain amount of talent and mike said they do have an exceptional defensive line that they paid a lot of money to the eagles do but beyond there they don't have much mike yeah and i i I will just add that um darius slay did not have his best game by far but positive that was really the worst game we've seen out of slay this year other than against the steelers he's been pretty solid um and, you know, maybe that's his slip up for the year and, you know, the defense improves with better play from Slay. But, yeah, I guess I guess just to point out that he had a bad game and it was a tough day for the defense because of it. I did think he yeah, and he gives up two DPIs. I do think the one was not legit, but um, that's a nice way of putting it, I guess. But <laughs> uh, by and large, he just didn't really look like himself that day. And I wonder, you know, his arm got kind of trapped the game before against the Niners. Um, under a body and um, you know he he was in a position where he's coming off of that kind of game he's been playing a lot he is you know kind of an older player so you know he's going to have these performances every once in a while Um, but at the same time we're going to need him and and he did leave that game in concussion protocol and and did practice uh, in limited form today as Andrew mentioned right before the podcast but to bounce back to the linebacker topic uh, Nate geriatric has got to go Uh, his play is just not to the caliber that they need. And I, I have to believe that these rookies, that maybe even the combination of them, maybe you go uh, heavy with a safety and bring Kayvon Wallace in, that some combination of that has to be better. And to me, Schwartz as a topic before we move on is is going to be able to sort of uh, change direction, hopefully for the positive, if he's able to change his scheme a little bit and plug some of these younger players in and add them. Uh, I really don't think at any point this year, you know, we thought that the injury situation would be what it was or the young players would be pressed into action. But this the schedule being what it was and our record being what it is, 
my opinion is play some of these young players, see what they can do. And, and my hope is that Schwartz opens himself up to that a little bit. Nate, Nate geriatrics is getting killed out there, Jim. Okay. So uh, let's, let's try somebody else in there. Um, otherwise in this game, uh, I thought the defense on the whole, especially Craven, uh, the, the tackling was just really poor throughout the game. I, th I thought it's just sort of one of those fundamental things that they were able to make a few tackles here and there. It prevents a first down breaks momentum. And they just weren't able to come up with it, especially when they need it. And in one-on-one -on -one situations, that's mostly where I saw missed tackles. Um, so um, I, I think the, the penalties across the board this year have been kind of up and down week by week. Um, and I'm not sure how much of that is sort of the environment this year and the climate with COVID and everything, but uh, the Eagles did have nine penalties overall. I believe six of them were defensive penalties, a lot of neutral zone infraction and offsides. That, it's just, mental error type stuff that does reflect on Schwartz in my opinion. And, and it, it doesn't happen often enough in that sense of having defensive penalties to really raise a flag, but it was pretty alarming in that game. That's a lot injured. Yeah. I mean, you had the, um, I think you had an early uh, 15 yarder from Malik and then you had a late 15 yarder from, from Brandon Graham. Um, that might've actually been on the last series, but yeah, I mean, those things uh, are always going to kill you and they killed you, especially in, in a tight game against the Steelers. They made, less mistakes than we did. They performed better than we did when it counted. Um, going back to Schwartz just for a moment, um, because I think it's, is he doing the best he can with the personnel? And is that more of a how we think, right? Bringing in the right guys to fill those spots. But when I see a play, like when they lined up with that bunch, the Steelers I'm talking about, that bunch formation on the goal line, and you had Nathan Geriatric, you had Singleton, and they were just like, I think uh, I think Matt even mentioned that Malik Jackson was back there, and you had these, you had them waving their hand. I don't even know what was going on. They clearly didn't know what was going on. Even if it's a lack of talent, that is a lack of coaching. That is that's um, unacceptable in my opinion. Um, so I think Sh Schwartz needs to 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 own. Um, some of these things a little bit that, more. And I that think was one of the most frustrating plays to watch, Andrew, just, just to drive that point home. Yeah, yeah that was that, that was more frustrating to me than Nathan being on Claypool on that touchdown across the middle that was, you know, so clearly a mismatch. Um, Miscommunication, yeah. That's a good point that it that does fall on the coach's responsibility to make sure his players are in the right place, know what the offense is showing them and know how to react accordingly. They looked lost and there was no chance of stopping that play. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And, and, you know, is the, it's those plays that it goes back to, is that just a lack of talent or is that just coaching that is not putting these guys, regardless of talent in a position to succeed. So um, this is a topic I think we could probably discuss for hours, but um, Chris, yeah, I'll, I'll and, and we may have more to discuss next week and we're going to get to the Ravens in just a minute, but a couple more things. Uh, JJ Ortega Whiteside records his first catch of the season, uh, a 37 yard or a difficult catch, which was completely meaningless. And not only was it meaningless, it could have been meaningful had he uh, gotten up, given the ball to Kelsey and he quick snapped it and, and uh, spiked it. We might've been able to, to kick a field goal before half where we weren't going to be able to get the ball back. Um, it was just, uh, you know, another chapter in this calamity of, of having drafted J.J. Ortega, Ortega Whiteside in the second round. Um, he didn't even earn the TH, I got to say. I all in like all, though, it was, that's fair, Chris. it was a sweet catch. Gotta go. um, it was a sweet catch, but 
it's it's not really his fault in terms of the awareness of time uh, because really that was the play before with Hightower where he should yeah. have gotten out of bounds. However, JJ makes this play. He should have a sense of urgency to, to at least try. And it was time was running out. He still may not have gotten it, but that's the sort of effort I wanted to see from him. I will say I did see him make a really great block uh, during uh, Miles Sanders' touchdown run, but that's that's saying something that we're yeah, highlighting a block by a second round wide receiver. Matt picked uh, up on that as well. He, he said, JJ, his first great play was a block. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of another receiving target, uh, albeit a tight end, Zach Ertz uh, in this game really um, looked lost and broken are the words that I wrote down here on today's agenda. Uh, wondering if this is a contract issue. Uh, he used to have just a rock solid connection with Carson Wentz seemed to be such a, a go-to target Their their um, their passing uh, connection was almost automatic. It seemed like, especially in terms of getting first downs, um, he seems not only disinterested, he also doesn't seem to be a, a focal point of the offense to me. Um, so I, I'm not sure what I'm seeing there. And Mike mentioned before the podcast that so much of the topic of Ertz is speculative and he is going to be a target. And I'll just say that uh, for other teams at the trade deadline, I'm certain that Howie Roseman will be entertaining calls from other teams who recognize what's going on with the Eagles and, and what's going on with Ertz in his contract situation. Injuries coming out of the Steelers game included Lane Johnson, who was in and out a couple of times and wound up leaving the game on a cart. Uh, he has sought some medical opinions, but uh, was held out of practice. Is that right, Andrew? Uh, sorry, I was distracted. I was looking on my phone. Uh, it's yeah, okay. Lane, he was Lane, held out today. Lane. Yeah, Lane yeah. was not a, a participant. Um, okay. And then Slay, who I think you're going to get to, uh, yeah. was, was limited. Yeah, and he's in a concussion protocol, which I didn't really see him take like a, a headshot or, or anything like that. But certainly um, it was a physical game against the Steelers. And, and obviously he, come out, he came out of the game that way, but was limited today in practice. So we're going to shift gears to talk about this upcoming game against the Ravens. And I think as Eagles fans, we're just looking at this. It's like, you know, you're, you're dead tired from working one eight hour shift and you're about to clock into another even more grueling, uh, you know, 16 hour shift or something like that. Uh, just really a long look ahead at this Baltimore Ravens team. That's been really successful, mostly behind um, Lamar Jackson and, and their defense, which is, uh, believe a record of 20 games uh, straight with a turnover with the defense having created a turnover. So uh, lots to tackle there for the Eagles, but uh, right off the top, I want to open up with a, a question. Do you guys as fans think it's even remotely possible the Eagles can win on Sunday? Andrew. Um, yeah, I'll start here and I'm, I'm sure this will actually shock you guys, but um, the answer is no. <laughs> uh, the answer is no, we have no shot, but let's, let's look at it a little a little bit here. So I, I think it does depend on what team shows up for the birds. Um, more specifically, what side of the ball shows up, what type of offense are we going to get with, or what type of um, defense is going to show up? Are we getting the Steelers defense that got gashed or are we getting, um, you know, the, the Bengals defensive line that got eight sacks. Um, that's going to be huge and a, a, a differentiator for us to, to at least stand a chance here. Um, it's going to take a unified effort between the offense and the defense. And then, yeah, let's sprinkle the special teams in there too. Let's, let's have uh, put them in bad field position. Um, maybe let's get a turnover. Maybe Kayvon can get a, get a special teams turnover again. Um, yeah. I think we, you always have to watch out for Lamar, right? Reigning MVP. Um, he's been pretty subpar though uh, this year. I think he's second to last in yards passing. 
Um, but he's so athletic, so dynamic, and it really hasn't impacted Baltimore's ability to steamroll um, competition. They had a tight game and a tough one against Kansas City, as, as many teams have, have suffered the same fate. Um, but other than that, I think they've, they've won all of their four games by, um, by over, you know, two touchdowns or something like that. So, um, but a lot of points. Yeah. And, you know, they have a, an incredible rushing offense. I think, um, uh, let me see here. Yeah. Jimmy Kemsky, um, put a little table together, but, uh, they're first in rushing attempts, rushing yards, uh, yards per attempt, um, rushes over 20 yards, 40 yards, first down, like everything is, is on the ground with them. Now, does that play into our favor? Because we are, um, very good against the run and have been, um, especially this year, Connor, Connor's last week beat us uh, on a couple times and those jet sweeps got us, but I think, um, we should feel confident against the run, but, you know, I think, uh, if we don't turn the ball over, um, and maybe we can snag a turnover too. I do believe there's a chance for us to cover the seven and a half point spread. Oh, <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. So without, yeah, without delving maybe too deeply into our predictions, Mike, what are your thoughts just in terms of like even possible? Or you're like, no way. How are you feeling on it? So the or logic, no the logic part of my brain says absolutely no way. Um, well, you are a scientist. I, Very logical. I transitioned careers at one point to become a scientist. So yeah, I guess that part of my brain definitely says no. Um, the Eagles just don't have, you know, they have a really terrible linebacking crew. They don't have the best secondary. The defense might get torched all day, especially from Lamar just scrambling and running for yards. Um, I think it's going to be really frustrating him extending a uh, series for that offense on the Eagles defense. Now the Eagles fan in me says, yes, there is always a chance they can out of nowhere, come up with a really good game. Prime example, last year against the green Bay Packers, we were going into um, Lambeau field thinking this is a loss. And somehow we put up, I think 38 points that game to beat the Packers on their home turf. Um, and, you know, I'm looking at the Ravens games so far this year, they're four and one, the most points they've scored is 38 against the Browns in week one. Um, if we can put, I think we need to be able to score something about 34 plus points in order to have a chance <laughs> to win this game, Jeez. <laughs> unless it's going to be a low scoring game. Maybe it, maybe it is, but, um, 34 points, I would say, wins you the game if you can score that. Um, so well, let's see. Let's see here. Let's see what they have to offer in terms of offense. So obviously the first person that we've mentioned already is Lamar Jackson, uh, who really is the first truly mobile quarterback that the Eagles have faced so far this year. Realistically, the Eagles have faced Dwayne Haskins, Jared Goff, Joe Burrow, Nick Mullins, and then Ben Roethlisberger last week. Now, Ben is the great, mobile. The great Nick Mullins. The great Nick Mullins. Uh, sorry sorry for the disrespect, Nick. Put some respect on your name. Um, but I think that he does pose a certain kind of threat. I have to hope that uh, in terms of the stat that Andrew mentioned about uh, sort of his game lacking in yards and, and that being sort of the knock on him in general, right, is that he, he has the ability to create as an athlete but um, doesn't have the most confident or consistent arm or, or is, is uh, not as – not as strong in the passing game. So uh, 
If he chooses to do so, however, he's got a lot of options, one of whom being Marquise Hollywood Brown, who I wanted the Eagles to draft. Uh, Devin DuVernay, who they got this year. Miles Boykin, uh, who I believe was last year. James Prochet from this year. Again, this is like a who's who of uh, wide receivers I would have loved to see the Eagles get. And then Willie Sneed, who's been in the league for a while, and it's one of those like annoying receivers with the little fro that hangs out the back of his helmet and just frustrates you every time he makes a good play for a first down in addition to that he's got mark andrews one of the better tight ends in the league if nate gary jerry barry geriatric plays he's absolutely going to get roasted uh in this game and my sincere hope is that um jim makes significant changes at the linebacker position or at the very least the linebacker scheme uh to account for what's probably you know one of the top five tight ends in the league i'd say mark andrews especially uh coming off of last season um, they drafted JK Dobbins again, a player I wanted the Eagles to get. This is again a who's who Mark Ingram, who has consistently done damage to the Eagles, uh, when he was with the saints and then justice Hill. So they have uh, quite a few options there that if Lamar doesn't run it, that they can run it too. But, um, you know, I think that the question comes from a defensive standpoint, if the Eagles are able to win this game, how are they going to be able to hold up? So just from a defensive standpoint, um, I think we have to agree if the Eagles are able to get a turnover or two in this game, they really have a chance. Um, but if they're not able to, which, you know, it's been a kind of a drought this year so far that, that it is going to be a blowout that, that Lamar may be able to just have his way. You know, Andrew said his, his numbers have been kind of pedestrian this year. It's like, Oh, the Eagles will help him get right. You know, kind of thing. The negative, the Negadelphian in me says that, but um, from a schematic standpoint, if you're Jim Schwartz this week, let me frame it that way. Mike, let's start with you. If you're Jim Schwartz this week, what's your methodology here? because this is a major threat coming in, not just the quarterback, but the entire offense and, and a pretty decent offensive line also. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm one, defensive thing have, line. one thing you have to consider uh, in terms of the coaching you want to do to the defensive line. I think you need to play very controlled this week. You're not going necessarily for the sack because you know, Lamar can escape that. Um, and that's the strength of our defense. So staying in your lanes as a defensive lineman, controlling the field is really a big part of it, especially if they're game planning for Lamar to beat them with his legs. Um, if that's the case, staying in your lanes really key and then maybe padding the line with – problem is we don't have good linebackers, but – padding the line with some extra players to fill in those pockets he might run to. Um, now, maybe we do get a couple pressure plays on him and the secondary might be able to come up um, if they have good coverage, you know, with a turnover. But, you know, I guess that's my thinking of what, what I would do. Andrew, do you, do you have any thoughts? Um, yeah, no, I think you brought up a good point, Mike, with um, stay in your lanes, right? you have to have this kind of containment type of situation. And I know, you know, uh, while we would love to get pressure on Lamar with some blitzes, I don't know if we can get home as you, uh, you know, as you mentioned, and um, you know, that just leaves you vulnerable on the back end. Um, Hollywood Brown scares me as a, a, a deep threat pretty much every time he runs a route. Um, but I, I don't think he's necessarily going to be the biggest impact um, it's that Mark Andrews matchup against the linebackers that, that scares me. Um, it's their um, four-headed monster at this point. Um, Gus Edwards is another running back 
maybe one of the one of their their better running backs um more so than than ingram um but yeah i mean you're gonna need uh barnett and graham to stay home on motions and sweeps which we struggle with um they've been better but you gotta really try to bottle in lamar um if we blitz i i that scares me. But then if we run a soft zone, that scares me. Um, I, I don't know what Schwartz's game plan is going to be. Um, maybe you kind of bring everybody up to the line. You blitz some, you drop some, and, and you, you try to cause some confusion, some diversion, um, maybe with some people moving around. But I don't know. This this secondary is, is um, uh, young, and I don't know if all of that misdirection and in, in our um, secondary is going to be too complex. So I don't know, contain, contain, contain. I don't know how you do that, but, but you have to. Yeah, they're definitely going to have to play disciplined football. And I think the containment part is big into that. Uh, I almost wonder if Schwartz might take the approach of uh, let him beat us with his arm. Yeah. You know, yep. uh, kind of force that force the agenda that way. Uh, and if that's the guy with Lamar Jackson, Say that again. Easier said than done when you're facing Lamar Jackson. Absolutely. But I think there has to be a sort of, um, there has to be a period of sort of feeling it out in this game. And I think part of that has to be that if they let him throw the ball, is he successful? Because I think the D line is still going to create pressure, um, whether there's you know zero blitzes or not. Um, but just to touch on the D line for a second, uh, just this year, uh, against the uh, Washington Redskins or Washington football team, excuse me, in game one, the Eagles had three sacks. They lost. The, they played the Rams the next week. They had one sack. They lost. They played the Bengals. They had eight sacks. And in a very obscure game, they tied. Uh, against the 49ers, they had five sacks. They won. Against the Steelers last week, just one sack and I believe two uh, quarterback pressures, and they lost. So, you know, it's clear that them getting home uh, is something – that makes the defense sort of go. I mean, Eagle strength and only strength is their defensive line. But if they're all out blitzing early on, uh, Baltimore's going to have their way. So I think Jim's going to have to take the pulse of things a little bit and sort of figure out what's going on uh, with Lamar and with his mindset that day. But I, I wonder if he starts out that way to say, go ahead and beat me with your arm. Let's see if, let's see if we can cover. And if that's the case, it's going to be imperative that uh, Darius Slay be healthy and, and be out of concussion protocol and eligible to play for this game, because on the back end, he really is the only other strength we have without much in the, um, in the middle of the field. We discussed the linebackers enough tonight, but do something, Jim, do something, do something with the linebacker position. <laughs> Um, they need to create turnovers. Josh, uh, honestly, save your job, Jim, because it could be his job. You know, it could be. And I think it's a situation where uh, on a lot of podcasts I listen to, the predictability part of it is really what what is becoming the biggest critique. And I think anytime that happens, it's time for a change, especially in the NFL, which is a copycat league. Um, but the need to create turnovers is crucial. As I mentioned, uh, in my opinion, they'll need a defensive score uh, to be able to win this game. Um, and, and maybe more than one turnover, maybe a couple turnovers to really be able to sort of set a tone. Uh, they are going to be at home. There will be fans there. That's a sort of a detail we neglected at the outset. It was announced, I believe on Tuesday of this week, um, that 7,500 uh, fans would be able to attend the, this Sunday's game at the link. So uh, let's hope there's a little bit of a does anybody know how the tickets are being distributed? I do, actually. I listened to a podcast with uh, Dave Spadaro and uh, Don Smolinski, the president. He kind of explained the tiering system. So I guess for anyone who opted in, they're kind of in the first tier. 
And then for anyone who opted out, they're kind of in the second tier. So they're offering the tickets to, you know, all the opt-ins first and then secondarily, I guess, to all the season ticket holders, excuse me, that is, uh, that opted out. So beyond that, I'm sure it's just kind of second resale. Okay. I was talking to uh, Stat Matt today and I was asking if uh, Joey Devlin would be going down to any of the games because he always goes down every season. He uh, buys into some season tickets with some friends. Um, it sounds like Mama Devlin shut it down. Joey's going to have to watch from home. So Joey, Joey is on the couch. And I would say that we are now paying members of those season tickets. So it's, it's Joey oh. Devlin oh. And, and family. <laughs> so you would invite them. You'd have to invite your dad. I, yeah. So there's a chance, Andrew, you may attend a game this year. Maybe. Okay. Well, we'll, have to, well, I think that's interesting for the pod. We'll have to keep um, kind of tabs on that. And I think from a fan viewing experience, it'll at least be a little different seeing some fans in the stands, um, you know, 10% of, of the capacity or whatever. But we have to hope that that's going to be uh, a difference maker. And especially if that's able to sort of get some vibes going and get them to create some turnovers. But who are you seeing as a defensive player in this game, if, if possible? Uh, Andrew. Yeah, for me, um, and I, I just mentioned his name, but I think Derek Barnett is going to be my defensive player of the game. I think he's had a really strong season. Um, maybe not on the stat sheet, maybe not dynamically, but I, I feel like, and I think we talked about him on one of our early podcasts as somebody who needed to step up this year. Um, and I've been very critical of him not being able to stay home. Um, he's always seemingly beat on the outside. I think he's done a, a, a very good job this year of, of as Mike said, uh, staying in his lane um, and doing some containment. Um, he had a nice stick last week. And um, look, it, this game, if we have a chance, uh, as we've talked about multiple times, is going to come from our defensive line. So uh, you're going to need uh, our edge rushers to be big. And I think it's going to be Barnett in this game. Mike, who are you Who are you feeling? Who do you think yeah, that's step up? That's a real tough one. I'm kind of um, I'm kind of drawing a blank as as to who would step up in this game because my confidence in the defense overall is it's not very high. But assuming um, he's able to play on Sunday, I think uh, this is the time for Darius Slay to really impact and possibly save Jim Schwartz's season like we were saying so yeah I guess I'll go slay assuming he plays yeah I'm, I'm gonna go with sort of the captain of the defensive line and Fletcher Cox I think Fletcher is gonna have to have a really big game uh, for the defensive line to be able to sort of tee off and I think as part of the containment that we talked about also in the discipline in the run game uh, both through the the multiple running backs that they have as Andrew mentioned but also Lamar as a running threat so I'm going with Fletcher Cox Andrew did stat Matt have a defensive player of the game uh chris come back to me let me check uh what he sent over i don't believe so um but if okay. i was a if i was a betting man i bet he would have picked um nathan geriatric yep it's right here nathan geriatric as as matt's um yeah, he went mike he went with brandon graham BG. mike signaling he went with yeah bg so uh let's hope bg does have a big day and i think he's one of the best um run defenders as well so hopefully that he plays a role yeah, I think he, he's thinking the same thing as me as, you know, we need the uh, the edge rushers to, to really get home. Okay. So he's All right. got BG, well, let's, I've, let's... Got, uh, I've got Barnett. 
All right. So we have, and I, I chose a defensive lineman in Fletcher Cox as well. And, and Mike, let's hope Darius Slay is able to play in the first place, but, um, but let's hope he does have a big game. Let's transition to talk just briefly as we run down to the end of the episode tonight about uh, the Eagles offense versus the Ravens defense, which is formidable. Like I said, the Ravens defense, I believe the streak is 20 games uh, with a defensive turnover. So uh, they've really been productive and uh, they get after uh, the offense in a lot of different ways. And I think, they're going to have a, a, a tall order. Wentz and the offensive line are going to be uh, really put to the test. And I think Lane's condition coming into this game is going to be an important factor for Carson's confidence. Uh, if not, I, I have seen Jack Driscoll play some good ball. I just, you know, if, if it's able to be Lane, great. If not, let's hope Driscoll can hold up and, and play a little bit more consistently. I think his issue has been having good snaps followed by uh, kind of head scratcher moments, but uh, the Ravens defensive line, you know, Calais Campbell and and many others who can do a lot of damage. Um, you know, they're, they're in a position where they're coming against a team that struggled with any sort of defensive games and, and they're dealing with the offensive line that's shuffled around a lot. So uh, they're going to be, probably looking to, to get after Wentz as much as possible and confuse him and confuse the offensive line in terms of sort of passing off defenders from one to the next. Um, but uh, I think the run game is something that will have to be effective this week and over a longer period and um, being able to really establish the run game early and go back to it and lean on it uh, as the game goes on to establish some kind of a flow. If the Eagles win this game on Sunday, it'll be because they, they settled into some kind of a rhythm. And we started to see that uh, in San Francisco. We started to see it in spurts in Pittsburgh, but kind of disrupted. If they can put together a whole game like that, it'll it'll probably be because they were able to establish a, a strong run game. I, I think it would be great to see Miles break 100 yards. I think he's gotten close, uh, but has not broken up to like even 95 or 98 or something, but hasn't broken 100. So it'd be great to see him have one of those days this weekend. And keeping Lamar and the offense off the field uh, is a – sort of a must. So that's big. I think moving forward here, um, Fulgham, uh, Travis Fulgham, who we touched on much earlier in the podcast, uh, Andrew said, it'll be interesting to see how he fares this week. He's definitely going to draw more attention. Everyone's seen that tape. Um, and obviously he's made waves across the NFL with his performance. So it's going to be on John Hightower or Quez Watkins, who are the younger draft picks to come in, uh, Hightower, we kind of skipped over earlier, but had kind of a rough outing against the Steelers, missed the play in the back of the end zone where he seemed to completely misread the pass. Hit him um, in the hands, Chris. It went through his hands. Went I mean, through he, his hands. He honestly jumped when he didn't have to. That's watching the replay. That's the thing that's really upsetting. If he just would have kept running, he probably just would have caught it. He certainly uh, looked better. like the uh, 168th pick in the draft. Yeah, he looked like a fifth-round rookie both then and when like he caught that pass when he caught that pass before half and wasn't able to get out of bounds just before the JJ catch, that was really on Hightower for the reception before, which was a good catch, but then he needs to get out of bounds and he did not. So uh, one of those two high, uh, late draft, excuse me, John Hightower, Quez Watkins is going to have to make a play or two in this game uh, because Travis Fulgham and Zach Ertz, who we touched on earlier, will probably draw some attention, but I think it's going to be important for Ertz to, be a part of this game plan and, and to reestablish him a little bit. But I think the, um, the middle of the Ravens defense, some of their linebackers pose some serious problems that way. So I think he, he's going to have to show something in this game. And I just have to hope he gets over whatever gifts he's got because the last few weeks he's, he's just not been himself. Um, I think, you know, if there's any topics you guys want to hit on, I think we kind of loosely covered the offense in a way, but 
the O-line is what I'm really kind of wondering about. If Can they hold up? You know, there's been some still some shuffling parts with Lane in and out with the exchange of him and Driscoll, but there hasn't been a whole lot of stability there, and they're coming to a defense that is very productive. So um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? You know – Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Um, I was going to uh, just bring up something that Matt – Matt put in. Um, so he, uh, Matt, Matt made reference to the fact that Driscoll in the last game um, after Lane went down uh, allowed zero pressures on 17 pass block snaps. And overall, Driscoll's been really solid uh, filling in for Lane so far this season. That's been a big positive. Um, yeah. You know, Lane Johnson's our best uh, offensive lineman. The fact that Driscoll's come in and kind of stabilize that position has been huge for us um that you know i I mean if anybody has something to say on driscoll um yeah yeah i'll I'll just say real quick and not so much about driscoll who i have been very impressed with but more so that the uh compliment to howie earlier about the o-line how he did bring in some o-linemen but it's really on stoutland to me the coach the offensive line coach uh and what he's been able to do with all these moving parts and and to create some you know, continuity and, and to have even any productive games, putting in rookies here and there and moving them around the line and Herbig who had no experience before this year. But, um, you know, I, Andrew, I didn't know if you had any thoughts on um, that idea of sort of the O-line being a question mark heading into this game or your worry level for them. Or are you good on the O-line? Do you feel like they'll, they'll, they'll hold it down? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm completely okay with the uh, offensive line. I think there's a lot of other areas to, <laughs> to worry about. Um, my, my biggest, it's not my biggest worry. I shouldn't say that. Um, one of my uh, biggest concerns has been our opening series game plan. Um, we don't do anything with the ball on our first drive. Um, against, yeah, against Washington, um, we actually did get really good field position. I think there was three passes and we actually scored since then against the Rams, three plays, a fumble by Sanders, the Rams score the next possession against the Bengals, six plays, one week, first down Carson throws an interception against the 49ers three and out second series of that game was an interception. And then against the Steelers, three plays, negative eight yards. Carson took that really bad sack on third and 10. Why can we not start off the game with some positive um, production. I, I don't get that. You have all week to at least, you could script out 10 plays. Uh, I, it's not working. And, I, and maybe that's uh, on Doug. Maybe that's execution. I don't know. But that's five weeks. That's five different game plans. It's, it's frustrating. So that's kind of where my biggest concern is. Um, but uh, in terms of the offensive line, I think, you know, people have stepped up and, um I'm not going to pick them for my offensive player of the game, but I do think that they're probably one of our more uh, trusted, reliable uh, facets. Uh, of the the, I like that you hit on the slow starts because that's a, a sort of overlapping issue from last year. I mean, this and, mm. and going back really to even 2018. So, you know, slow starts have been something that really plagued the Eagles. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of like either, you know, handing the ball off to Miles and him getting one yard, this sort of false start. Uh, beginning to almost every game this year. They have to figure something out. Doug has to get creative here. Um, But I I think if the O-line, you know, I like Andrew's confidence, if the O-line is able to sort of hold up, then we can start to feel really good, not only about these young players, but the whole Jordan Mailata question uh, seems a lot clearer. 
So hey, Chris, yeah, on the, on the on the on the topic of you know like slow starts and maybe that lends into predictability of um, what the offense is going to do when they come out for the first series. I stat Matt put it in his notes. Um, you know, High Tower has seen forty four snaps so far this season he has five targets two catches for 18 yards that is piss poor production and that lends itself to predictability if he's not going to contribute to the offense you know get that guy out of the game put somebody else in um yeah i guess that's what i'm just gonna say there Fair enough. Well, let's get into some offensive players of the game. I think uh, Hightower has a lot to prove in this game. And, and because of the attention to Fulgham, he may have a chance to do something. So let's hope he does. Uh, but offensive players of the game, who, who are you seeing making a, an impact here? I know it's I feel like it's slim pickets, you know, even between the three of us, normally we're a, uh, a quartet, but what are you guys thinking? Um, I, for me, I have, I, I'm going to pick Greg Ward. Um not because I trust him to have that big of an impact, but I think that they are probably probably going to game plan around Ertz. Um, they're going to try to contain Sanders. Fulgham clearly after last week is going to be a focus. Um, so there might be an opportunity for um, a second receiver to step up. And I have to go with, with Greg Ward. He's been the most consistent. Um, he does have that rapport with Carson. You saw the touchdown catch. Um, I think maybe he he has an impact uh, on the offense this game. That replay of the touchdown catch, he just mm. shook that guy on a head fake so mm. hard. And it was it was Joe Hayden. I mean, it's not like, you know, he's not beating nobodies. And the, right. the catch he had last year was against Josh Norman. I mean, they're kind of former somebodies, I guess. They're kind of the, the former wave of really great corners, but – He's still, still winning, Mike. You know, elite or yeah. top of the class. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mike, who's your uh, offensive player of the game? Um, so, you know, going, going back to some of the earlier questions in the podcast, the confidence that we have in Carson Wentz, you know, I really thought he's coming off one of his most solid performances so far this season, especially um, being resilient, keeping the Eagles in the game. I think this is the game where he probably doesn't turn the ball over at all and has his best QB rating. I think Carson carry puts this one. This one's this one's on Carson. He's my he's my offensive player of the game. All right, um, I'm actually going to go with Miles Sanders. I, I think he uh, I think he does break 100 yards in this game, and I think it's mostly you know little bits here and there. Maybe he rips a, a 15 yarder off somewhere in between, but I think he kind of gets the yards that he needs, uh, and hopefully it's because Doug is sort of using the run game uh, methodically to break things up for Carson and, and also to sort of wear out the defense and keep Baltimore's offense off of the field. So I'm going to go with Miles Sanders, who seems to be the only rushing threat uh, for the Eagles this year. Uh, and, and let's hope he does break a hundred yards. So um, score predictions, let's break it down. The Eagles are hosting the Baltimore Ravens Sunday at one o'clock. Um, I'm sure we're getting the D team in terms of uh, announcers. Uh, but let's uh, let's give some score predictions. Andrew, you already mentioned earlier that there was just no way. So how much are the Eagles going to lose it by this weekend? Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to give two, but I'll stick. I'll, I'll eventually go with one. So two my score first, predictions. Yeah. So my first instinct was 37-22 um, Ravens. I'm going to give uh, the birds an extra touchdown and a two point conversion because we're home. We got the fans. 
Um, we're not going to cover, but uh, oh no, we will cover. So we're going to get to 37.30. We're going to cover that seven and a half line. Um, we will lose, but we will cover the spread. Everybody goes home a winner. <laughs> Michael, what's your score prediction? I mean, that's tough. Going back to um, what I was bringing up earlier, most ports, most points um, that the Ravens have scored so far this season is 38. Um, I think they'll probably be around that number given the defense they're going up against. I can't, I pick the birds every on for every week so far this season. So, I mean, let's go 35, 16 Ravens. Ooh, that's a, that's a strange score, but I, I, I could see it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's kind of a strange matchup. I think about the last time that the Eagles played the Ravens, I think it was Carson's rookie year. Um, and they lost it trying to score a two point conversion with Ryan Matthews trying to dive into the end zone and getting yanked backward. Um, it seems just impossible for the Eagles to win this game, just based on everything they have going on, uh, based on the last couple of weeks and the way things have been going, the limitations both on defense and offense. But there's some sort of weird feeling about this game this weekend. I'm, I'm really struggling to, to come down to my prediction, but I, I feel some sort of weird way that, that there's a chance uh, on, that the give Eagles it to us, pull this Chris. off. Um, and, and, <laughs> I think it will take Mike mentioned something about uh, 34 points. I don't know if it was on the pot or, or just before. So I'm going to go with Eagles 34 Ravens 28. Wow. Uh, again, not, not totally sure uh, where it's coming from, but there is a strange vibe that I'm getting from this game uh, being at home. Maybe it's the, um, you know, the factor of the fans being there. Uh, maybe it's the law of averages hoping, hoping that things turn around. But uh, I, I think they're, if they're able to win this game, we have a really different sort of outlook on this season. Um, and, you know, maybe I just look like an idiot next week. Who's, who knows? But uh, I think it's, it's one of those situations where all the money is sort of stacked on one side. And uh, if, if the Eagles would pull it out here, we'd all be like, wow, they pulled it off. But we'd be like, that's what they do. So, you know, it, it, it has that sort of dual nature being an Eagles fan. So we, we have two losses uh, in our trio tonight uh, and, and me seeing them with a win. I'm imagining Stat Matt thought that they were going to lose just based on his other commentary. He uh, did predict a loss. I figured as much. And if that were the case, just to go with the majority, uh, the, the Eagles record would sink to one, four and one. And then we're talking about some very different topics next week. Uh, should that be the case or not? Uh, I have been thinking about including uh, sprinkling in a little bit of draft knowledge for 2021, uh, just to have some look ahead material. Nothing we'll spend a whole lot of time on on the podcast, but uh, just things to look ahead, whether the Eagles are able to turn around or not, just little nuggets of information about some players that might interest them moving forward. So again, Sunday, one o'clock, Andrew sees a loss, Matt sees a loss, Mike sees a loss, Chris, maybe stupidly sees a win. Uh, let's hope the Eagles can find themselves on Sunday. Go Birds. Go Birds. Welcome to another episode of the Eagles Water Cooler. I'm joined tonight by Andrew and Mike. We are going to be reviewing the Eagles loss to the Steelers 38 to 29 and also uh, looking ahead to this Sunday's matchup against the Baltimore Ravens, the Eagles hosting uh, the Ravens at one o'clock. Fellas, how are we feeling tonight? 
Not bad. Getting to the end of the week here. A tough game last week and an even tougher one next week that we'll get into. But Oh, man. He's predicting the future already. Yeah, no, feeling, <laughs> feeling good. Um, it's been a long week. Looking forward to the weekend. Uh, hopefully the Eagles can turn it around because it's, uh, it's not, not too fun to be a fan right now. It is tough, and the weeks definitely feel a lot longer after a loss. Um, but let's get into it. So the Eagles uh, drop one out in Pittsburgh, thirty-eight to twenty-nine, to a really good Steelers team. Uh, truth be told, but from my perspective, still uh, a, a beatable team. And I think the Eagles could have won that game had things, you know, gone a little bit differently. When it was about, I guess, whenever the score was thirty-one fourteen, I forget what the point was in the game, but. Um, I definitely thought the Eagles were about to just get completely blown out and uh, they started to fight a little bit. And it was the first time I'd seen that kind of effort from them a um, little bit of it in San Francisco, but definitely was present in this game against the Steelers. So let's begin with talking about Carson Wentz uh, who did throw two picks uh, remain consistent and uh, having a, a turnover in every game so far this year, a couple of questionable throws into the ground. Uh, but I thought for the most part, he showed confidence. Uh, he was elusive when he needed to be, uh, he made sort of gutsy throws um, to newer receivers, and we'll touch on one of those coming up. But all in all, I thought he really balled out. I thought this was his best game of 2020, um, and unfortunately did not result in a in a win. But I thought his play uh, was the best sort of uh, from uh, throughout the game, I should say. Um, I think this uh, budding connection he has with Travis Fulgham, who we're going to discuss in a little while here, um, he was absolutely throwing up some some sort of trust throws and we were exploring right before the podcast how is it that a player that has been around since training camp but that is relatively new to Wentz how do they seem to strike up such a, a good rapport so early um, without that much uh, time to get reps in but um, in terms of Carson has has he sort of restored your confidence as a fan after both the performances in San Francisco as well as in Pittsburgh what are your guys' thoughts? I'll bring you in on this. Uh, yeah, Chris. So I look at that question as, do you have confidence in Wentz to lead your team to victory week in and, uh, and week out? Um, and my answer is no. Um, he finally played like someone that resembles a good quarterback last week. He, he seems to be slowly but surely getting back to, um, you know, some resemblance of, of who he was. But um, – I feel like we shouldn't even be in this position where we're, you know, pleased or happy with two picks and a 75 QBR. Um, like what is the bar that we, that we're um, comparing him to? What are we measuring him against? Is it 2017 MVP Carson? Is it last year's Carson? Is it week to week uh, Carson? I, I, I don't know. Um, against the Steelers, he did some things, as you mentioned, uh, he, he looked a little bit more poised. Um, and you and you hope that he's evolved from the Rams Carson or the Bengals Carson, um, but his numbers were still not stellar. Uh, I was looking back at the the other quarterbacks um, that faced the Steelers so far this year, and you've got guys like uh, Danny Jones with the Giants, two uh, threw for 279 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, Driscoll from the Broncos, 256 yards, two touchdowns, and interception. And you have Carson, 258 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Does being close to Danny Jones and, and Driscoll give you confidence? Not me. Um, I, I, I think, and you, you mentioned his elusiveness, and I think he has 
and always has uh, above average athleticism. Um, he made some really good throws, mostly to Fulgham, confident throws. Um, the one elusive uh, move that he made, this was, uh, was a TJ Watt um, who got a, did a spin. Pancake. Yeah. Is that the one where he got pancaked by Lane Johnson? Oh no, I'm thinking that might've been on the goal line, but uh, anyway, okay. this was, Somebody on the end, I think, spun off of Mylata, was coming to Carson's backside, and somehow Carson knew it, ducked under, perfectly timing um, the sack attempt, scrambled, and then I think picked up the first down. I think it was a third down. So, yes, Carson. I remember that play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so Carson's athleticism, I don't think it really has ever been in question. Um, but what I, I think he is in the bottom in terms of intelligence. I don't think he knows how to read defenses. And I think the offense is so watered down to compensate for that. I think he rarely goes through progression. I think you saw it a little bit more against the Steelers. I will, I will give you that. But I don't think it's, it's often enough. And I think the majority of the time he has one guy um, that he wants to throw to on any given play, if it's a pass play. And if that guy's not open, he does not have a second option. He does not then go, okay, I've got a safety valve. I've got my Ertz. I've got my miles and you know he doesn't have a check down i think that's where you then see him panicking in, in the pocket so um you know back to the confidence level he played better last week but but no i i you know my confidence is is really still not there with carson yeah. and is your thinking there real quick uh but mike before we go to you is your thinking there andrew that uh he had sort of the athleticism pre uh injury pre um ACL, MCL tear, back issues. Before all that, he had the athleticism that even though he couldn't, uh, possibly couldn't be, uh, you know, reading defenses accurately, that he was able to sort of elude uh, everything with his athleticism. And that's pretty, that's pretty significant in terms of as athleticism. But from a, from a standpoint of a viewer, I have to say it's, it's pretty shocking because I think part of what we saw the first year was an intelligent player. And part of that intelligence from a quarterback is reading the defense. So that's very interesting. I'm sorry, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good point. If you just do an eye test between Carson Wentz and Russell, um, uh, sorry, Russell, Russell Wilson, um, you see two, you, you know, you see guys who get into trouble where the pocket collapses around them and Carson's pocket awareness just isn't there. When you, when you watch Russell Wilson, the pocket collapses and he's able to spin and move to the part of the field where there aren't players to extend the play. And Carson just has a bad feel for that. It looks like maybe he used to have it um, and, and it's gone. And, and maybe that's just an, an IQ thing, an awareness thing. I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, in terms of positives, I think this was a good step in the right direction for Carson. Um, there, there was a, there was a drive in the second half where I thought the game was over and we were about to get blown out and Carson just stepped up and he made some big throws to um, get us back in the game. That's a really positive step. He did throw two interceptions. One of them was more of a punt at the end of the game where he was just kind of lofting them up. Um, so he really only threw one, one pick. Um, we can call that progress. Uh, I, you know, is he capable of putting the, team on his back right now and winning games not sure but if you said to me if we have a solid defense do you feel good about Carson um being able to win games based off what he did against the Steelers you know it's it's a step in the right direction 
Yeah, and I think the sort of imposition of this question is, has he restored your confidence compared to what? And Andrew kind of brought that up too. Um, I think I'm seeing Carson a more confident player um, in these last two games. As a fan, I, I do not feel a sense of confidence right now in Carson. Um, and it's from a couple standpoints. The pocket stuff that both of you brought up is really interesting. Uh, to me, it's, it's the tendency to just have these wild inaccuracies throughout the game on what seems like a routine throw to an open receiver. Um, that's really troubling, but both of you bring that up. And I, I can remember times where, you know, he's pulling these sort of Houdini acts escaping from certain sacks or, you know, tackles for loss and winds up, you know, kind of pulling something out and maybe injuries have kind of taken their toll that way. But I think he is a more confident player as a fan. It's, it's very difficult uh, drive by drive, play by play to, to feel confident in Carson Wentz. Uh, however, when I saw him most confident in this loss to the Steelers was when he was throwing the ball to Travis Fulgham. Uh, Fulgham, just to touch on him as a player a little bit. Um, so in this game, he had uh, 10 receptions with 152 yards and a touchdown. Um, he had the highest wide receiver uh, score uh, or rating on pro football focus in week five in all of the NFL. Um, he has the uh, highest wide receiver PFF score for an Eagle since Deshaun's performance in 2010 week 14 versus the Cowboys. And he's the first Eagle with 10 plus receptions and 150 plus yards in a game since Macklin, uh, Jeremy Macklin in 2014. So, uh, you know, it leads me to a question uh, that I think I know the answer to from both of you, but uh, to me as a fan, I, it had been so long since I saw an Eagles wide receiver dominate for a period of a game that they still wound up losing, but just really dominate. I mean, really give the defense fits where here's the thing about Fulgham. And, and then I'm going to open it up at that, at a certain point in the game, everybody knew the ball was going to Fulgham and he still caught it. He was still winning on his routes. That is so compelling for me. And we're going to touch on JJ later, but by JJ Fulgham is everything you wanted JJ to be. He really is. He's the exact type of possession receiver. He happens to have a little bit more speed and can play on the outside, but he's that big body. He's, he's confident. He wins. Um, he catches kind of like an old school receiver. He's not afraid to catch away from his body and pull it in. Um, this is a, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, no, I just kind of wanted to add that he was continually gone to throughout the course of the game over the course of the four quarters, but I thought a lot of the throws were, tight coverage and the ball was like on the money it wasn't like Fulgham was getting insane separation um so as much as the praise goes to Fulgham I also think you have to highlight Carson's ability to put the ball on the spot and that you know it, it was it took both of them to get that performance um uh, those statistics 100% 100%. And this conversation started around confidence. And I think I saw Carson at his most confident when he was throwing the ball to Travis Fulgham. So Fulgham, a walk on at Old Dominion, um, which is really more, I think, associated with bas college basketball than it is football, um, but walks onto the team, um, is able to uh, find success there, uh, was drafted late uh, by the Lions, I believe, uh, was on different practice squads, sort of bounces around, finds his way here. Um, and, and really has sort of an epic highlight play in the game against uh, the 49ers uh, to win it for the Eagles, their first one of the year, and then goes off this past Sunday. And it leads me to the question, are you buying Travis Fulgham as a, as a legitimate wide receiver? I mean, this is certainly sort of an explosive period he's having, but there's something about this guy, uh, if it can stick, if it can be consistent, it's a small sample size, but 
I think you got to keep this guy around because of how confident he makes Wentz. And I agree with Mike that it's, it, it takes two to really make a reception happen. So um, what do you guys think there? To me, they're going to have to make some decisions about wide receiver eventually. And I think Fulgham should be included. So I'll open it up that way. Andrew. Yeah, no, that's a good point because uh, you know, Deshaun's getting healthier. Alshon's getting healthier. Rager's, you know, not too far behind them. So then, you know, then where's it go? Then you've got Greg Ward still there. Um, Hightower's probably the odd man out for sure. But um, is Fulgham still your number one? I mean, right now he is. So do you just keep that relationship going? Because that's what's working best for Carson, kind of best for the offense. Um, I think there's, you know, definitely some some truth to that. I think the Ravens game, um, which we'll, we'll get into later, will be a really big test for Fulgham or um, a, a good measuring stick. We saw what he could, you know, he kind of had a semi-breakout against the 49ers, especially with that that touchdown catch. A dominant performance uh, against the Steelers. Pretty solid cornerbacks, but smaller cornerbacks. Um, he is physical, and he was, you know, he he's a great route runner, too. I, I, I do think he's probably right now the best route runner um, in the wide receiving core. But the Ravens cornerbacks um, are a bit more physical. So it'll be interesting to see how he matches up with just a different style. Um, but there's no doubt that that he has been playing strong, playing well, playing confident. That's a, I'll go back to it. You guys keep mentioning it. But Carson absolutely looks his, his best throwing the Fulgham. And whether it's in coverage or whether Fulgham does get that moment of separation, the A, the poise in the pocket from Carson, and B, just the one, two, three step and – he threw one perfectly to Fulgham right over the middle, like beautiful, beautiful pass. Um, so yeah, for some reason they have a great rapport. Uh, it would be um, a disservice, I think, to both of them to uh, to limit that just because Deshaun's back or Alshon's back. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's 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 a fun storyline in, in what has been a very dark, dark season. So I I only hope that he he continues to 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 grow and you know maybe he's a steal maybe he's an absolute steal yeah Andrew I, I agree with everything you said and I guess the only other thing I'll add is um it's great and you have to keep going with it see where it goes it you know it's still it, it's two games so let's see where it ends up but you, you you have to continue to go back to him um because of how reliable he's been in the past two games yeah, and I just real quick before I pass it back to to Chris here, because um, we did we did uh, bring up uh, JJ, um, but this and this is from uh, Stat Matt who can't join us tonight, but he provided uh, some some information. Uh, JJ in twenty games has eleven catches for two hundred six yards and a touchdown. Fulgham in two games has accounted for twelve catches, two hundred nine yards, and two touchdowns. So, see ya, JJ. Yeah, I think that's safe to say. I think um, I'm going to go as far as to say I, I think we can expect sort of a regression to some kind of a mean just because that's such a such a dynamic performance he had against the Steelers. But I think maybe as fans, what we need to watch, I think we're all saying, yes, Fulgham seems like a legit receiver. But I think what we need to watch is sort of the consistency of his performance and then also sort of the confidence that Wentz has. If that remains there, and we're seeing that from him when, he, when he's throwing the ball to Fulgham and then you add – Alshon Jeffrey, Jalen Rager, Deshaun Jackson to that mix. Um, 
Fulgham has to be one of those guys that you consider. So um, I just want to touch on a couple other uh, offensive points here. Greg Ward, dude just does his job. Uh, Wentz throws him that lollipop in the end zone right over um, Joe Hayden. Uh, they ran that exact same play last year uh, against the Redskins to win, if you remember, in the back that back corner of the end zone where he caught the ball. And then he does the Antonio Brown uh, touchdown. I don't know if you guys saw that during the game, but um, I think he'll be one of those sort of, we were asking these same questions about Greg Ward at some point last year that we're asking about Travis Fulgham and he's become a part of this team. He serves a role and the Eagles are sort of lacking in identity because the roles are unclear and injury has sort of riddled them. But Let's talk a little bit about the line. Um, Jordan Mailata now started against the, the 49ers and, and started against the Steelers, had uh, probably a little bit more trouble against the Steelers, particularly one play against Bud Dupree that I can remember where he was beat. But uh, I'm seeing a lot of really good stuff from him. I, I find myself really watching him, and, and O-line is one of those things that I find myself only watching on replay, but I'm trying to watch it live. And just his size is so much to get around. Um, I think the Eagles are going to be in a little bit of a dilemma looking at their former first round pick Andre Dillard, as well as Jason Peters, who they went and paid a little bit extra money to to slide over. Um, again, we're talking about a lot of small sample sizes tonight, but how are you feeling about my lot? If my lot is our left tackle moving forward, are you, are you go for that? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's a fun story we've kind of been riding my for the past couple seasons. Now, you know, he came to us uh, from Australia. He's a rugby player um, is, you know, it, it's nice to see him have success right now. Um, and it was also a nice story that I, that I read recently that he, his family isn't able to come watch him play because of uh, COVID restrictions. They're stuck in Australia. Um, but, you know, you, you kind of have to pull for this guy and, I guess the other the other positive that I'll say is this reflects somewhat well on on Howie and the front office. If you take our line from last year and you look at what our line is right now, the acquisitions that he made in this past offseason, getting Jack Driscoll in, um, you know, Mylotta, we already had him, but now he seems to be coming into his own. This line, you know. The, the fact that the offense is able to operate right now like it is, is a big testament to Howie filling those roles. Now, I'm all for riding Howie for his mistakes, but, you know, I, I feel like credit is due for maybe piecemealing a line that can compete. Yeah, that, that's a fair point um, and a positive look at Howie, which is often uh, these days uh, – <laughs> Uh, a negative storyline but it's hard to come by yeah 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 um but I would agree I mean especially with all the injuries um and it's been a couple of years actually um we've been able to to pretty much piece together a pretty competitive um and above average offensive line no matter who's in there so um yes credit to Howie for bringing some guys in credit the coaches and and the game plan there for for um allowing those guys to succeed but back to my lots of real quick this guy's 23 years old. He's still super young. Um, he was a project. I don't really love drafting projects. We, we've kind of done that before with a lot of failure. Um, the fireman, uh, Danny Watkins comes to mind. Um, we, we also did that in the third round of this draft with Davion Taylor. He's a project um, at linebacker. Um, but this one seems to be working out. And to be honest, 
he has played well enough and has shown enough, I think, in, in the couple games that he has started to remain the starting left tackle, even if um, Peters comes back healthy. I think you need to continue um, with Mylata in the starting position. Yeah, I, I I guess I'll put it on this. I agree with you, Andrew. And I think uh, I've seen more from Mylata in these two games than I have uh, from Andre Dillard all the times that I've seen him play, which hasn't, again, been a big sample size. I almost feel like that's the theme of the night. But yeah. at the same time, there's a sort of confidence level that I feel, again, like I, like I feel watching Travis Fulgham and, and Carson Wentz link up. Uh, Mylata is going to make, you know, uh, is going to miss a, a rush here or there. But his consistency a lot of it just based on his massive size uh, and him being able to just create a wall between uh, usually the team's, the opposing defense's best pass rusher and Wentz. Um, and part of this confidence I'm seeing from Wentz, I mean, the two games we've seen him this way are the two games my lot of started. Mm. So at, at the blind spot. Okay. So, I mean, we can take that for what it is, but I think it's interesting as fans that we're sort of able to see this and, and we're sort of, Dually uh, damning Howie in a way because Dillard, I don't think was the guy no matter what. Um, but Mylotta has stepped in and uh, and to me done more than Dillard has, and and certainly Jason Peters, what little we saw of him this year was not even a, a shadow of of who he used to be as uh, sort of a, a force on the offensive line. Moving forward with the offense a little bit to spin it ahead. Miles Sanders had a uh, highlight run 74 yarder uh, mostly created on his own. If you watch that uh, play again, uh, a lot of that work he's doing now, the Steelers were bringing a blitz. So good on Carson for checking the play to a run. Um, but miles really did a lot of that himself. And, and it was clinical in terms of what you were hoping to see out of him from college sort of translating over to the NFL. It was exciting to watch. Uh, what was not was the fact that after that, the run game pretty much evaporated and that the presence of the run game, if Miles is not able to be successful, and maybe this is partially, you know, a new and shuffling offensive line that's contributing to the the problems that the run game is having. But Boston Scott really not being a factor, Corey Clement not being a factor. Um I'm to a point now where the run game is, is kind of frustrating because it seems very boomer bust and it seems really based around miles. And it seems like when the Eagles are behind, which they have been most of 2020 um, that the run game sort of disappears and, and Doug throws the ball a lot. So uh, a lot to be figured out there, but let's talk a little bit about some of the bad. That was, that was some of the good out of the game we were hoping, but some of the bad uh, has to include, I'll start with the third and eight, um, play which was a, a touchdown throw to chase claypool who had a, a complete breakout day against uh, the eagles we, we talked about him on the podcast prior but um schwartz really has to make some kind of a move there um his claim was that you know ben sort of read the play and, and quick snapped the ball and um and threw it to claypool i, I really think that it was evident that Nate Jerry Barry Gary was lined up over top of uh, Chase Claypool and was going to be uh, charged with trying to make this play. And I encourage you both to watch the replay of that. It is embarrassing. It is like it, you're tough, literally watching him watch, fall down. I mean, he's it's just like two players who are on completely different planes. So there's a lot of negativity around Philadelphia surrounding Jim Schwartz um, that I personally do not share. I think the defense has shown up more often than not. But there is a sort of rigidity that I'm starting to sort of resent uh, in him. And I wonder uh, if there will be changes made this year. And, and I'll say this, if he's willing to start to play some of these young players 
um, especially at the linebacker position, a Sean Bradley at a temple or Davion Taylor, who Andrew mentioned, who is a pro a project, but at this point in the year with this record, let the project project, you know, let them work. Um, are you ready to bail on Jim Schwartz at this point? Are you, are you in a position where when you're watching him, you're most frustrated with him? I, after the games, I, there are moments where I feel it, but I, I'm not ready to bail on the guy, Andrew. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I'd like to think that he's doing the best that he can with um, what seems like a lack of talent, clearly in the linebacker linebacker position, um, a lot of youth in the secondary. Um, but his philosophy and style really hasn't changed over the years. We continue to have the same frustrations with him um, in terms of, you know, this soft zone approach, this off coverage. It, it at times it's a, oh, we bend, but we don't break because we then hold them to a field goal. But we're, we seem to be bending and breaking all at once. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like we can only succeed unless our defensive line succeeds. And that's a problem. And, uh, you know, is it... Is it Schwartz? I don't, again, I don't know. This is, you can hear the frustration in my voice, but um, I think he does have to own some responsibility. And I know with, you know, this week, especially with some of the, um, oh, and let me, let me plug Matt here real quick. Uh, it's not Nate, Jerry, 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 Barry, Gary. It's Nathan Geriatric. <laughs> I like that. Because this guy can barely move. So I got to He looked like that. He looked very stiff. As he was yeah. falling over uh, after Chase Claypool. Yeah, but I, I think the um, – I'll just go back to one of the – it's tough. I think it's this this whole frustration with Schwartz and the secondary and the D is also compounded by seeing Russell Douglas and Sidney Jones, who you released at the same time uh, just a few months ago, um, performing very well. And is that because they just remarkably got more talented? Wait, or is Sydney starting right now? Yeah, I think for I, Jacksonville. If not, Jacksonville. if not, he made a. I thought he was on the practice like Two PBUs and a pick or something like that. He had a really good day this past Sunday, and it was very damning after the Eagles lost. You know, these, exactly. these things always seem to be compounding, like Andrew said. Exactly right. It's like when they cut in with Nick Foles throwing the touchdown passes. We were. Nelson <laughs> Aguilar's doing great for the Raiders. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, so is I, the MC still open, Mike? Now I'm sure they're not going to let him go at this point. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Schwartzy, again, not ready to bail, but frustrated. Frustrated. We continue to have the same frustrations. We continue to see the same issues with him. So, um, it, are we in a situation soon where we were with Andy Reid? While not in the same light, but like he has been successful, but maybe it's just time for him to go. We maybe we need a, a change of style of strategy because it's more recently not working. And yeah. what better litmus test than this upcoming weekend against the Ravens? Go well, ahead, Mike. That's true. I don't know. I don't know what it was in particular, but for some reason this past uh, game against the Steelers, it just seemed to be, it hit me all of a sudden that Schwartz is not working anymore. And I don't know it's, if it's be become too predictable. Uh, the Eagles have a really solid defensive line. Now, when the game started first quarter, you see the defensive line go out for their first series. These guys are all over the place, but they didn't get to the quarterback. And first down happens. Now they get a little gassed. 
And once that happens, you need the secondary to step up, but the Eagles just simply don't have enough players uh, in the secondary to run the type of defense Schwartz wants to. And it is frustrating. And I don't know what it was, but this week I was like, I think I'm done with this. Um, We'll see what happens. Well, I think that's a, uh, I think that's kind of a dividing line and and who knows what's going to happen this weekend. And maybe you'll have, an even more intense sense of that, Mike, next week um, following this upcoming game against the Ravens where Schwartz's defense is going to, and his ability to scheme and create blitzes and things like that is going to be really put to the test. But I'm in the same camp, as I mentioned at the head. I'm frustrated, um, but mostly at the lack of talent. Um, I, I'm not sure the scheme is bad per se, uh, but I just think it is rigid and, and it does rely on a certain amount of talent. And Mike said, they do have an exceptional defensive line that they paid a lot of money to the Eagles do, but beyond there, they don't have much Mike. Yeah. And I, I, I will just add that um, Darius Slay did not have his best game by far, but positive. That was really the worst game we've seen out of Slay this year. Other than against the Steelers, he's been pretty solid. Um, and, you know, maybe that's his slip up for the year and, you know, the defense improves with better play from Slay. But, yeah, I guess I guess just to point out that he had a bad game and it was a tough day for the defense because of it. I did think he – yeah, and he gives up two DPIs. I do think the one was not legit, but um, that's a nice way of putting it, I guess. But <laughs> uh, by and large, he just didn't really look like himself that day. And I wonder, you know, his arm got kind of trapped the game before against the Niners – um, under a body and um, you know he, he was in a position where he's coming off of that kind of game he's been playing a lot he is you know kind of an older player so you know he's going to have these performances every once in a while um, but at the same time we, we're going to need him and, and he did leave that game in concussion protocol and, and did practice uh, in limited form today as Andrew mentioned right before the podcast but to bounce back to the linebacker topic uh, Nate geriatric has got to go uh, his play is just not to the caliber that they need. And I, I have to believe that these rookies, that maybe even the combination of them, maybe you go uh, heavy with a safety and bring Kayvon Wallace in, that some combination of that has to be better. And to me, Schwartz as a topic before we move on is, is going to be able to sort of uh, change direction, hopefully for the positive, if he's able to change his scheme a little bit and plug some of these younger players in and add them. Uh, I really don't think at any point this year, you know, we thought that the injury situation would be what it was or the young players would be pressed into action. But this the schedule being what it was and our record being what it is, my opinion is play some of these young players, see what they can do. And, and my hope is that Schwartz opens himself up to that a little bit. Nate, Nate Geriatrics is getting killed out there, Jim. OK, so uh, let's let's try somebody else in there. Um, otherwise, in this game, uh, I thought the defense on the whole, especially Craven. Uh, the, the tackling was just really poor throughout the game. I, th- I thought it's just sort of one of those fundamental things that they were able to make a few tackles here and there. It prevents a first down, breaks momentum, and they just weren't able to come up with it, especially when they need it and in one-on-one situations. That's mostly where I saw missed tackles. Um, so um, I, I think the, the penalties across the board this year have been kind of up and down week by week, um, and I'm not sure how much of that is – sort of the environment this year and the climate with COVID and everything. But uh, the Eagles did have nine penalties overall. I believe six of them were defensive penalties, a lot of neutral zone infraction and offsides. It's just 
mental error type stuff that does reflect on Schwartz in my opinion. And, and it, it doesn't happen often enough in that sense of having defensive penalties to really raise a flag, but it was pretty alarming in that game. That's a lot Andrew. Yeah. I mean, you had the, um, I think you had an early uh, 15 yarder from Malik and then you had a late 15 yarder from, from Brandon Graham. Um, that might've actually been on the last series, but yeah, I mean, those things uh, are always going to kill you and they killed you, especially in, in a tight game against the Steelers. They made, less mistakes than we did. They performed better than we did when it counted. Um, going back to Schwartz just for a moment, um, because I think it's, is he doing the best he can with the personnel? And is that more of a how we think, right? Bringing in the right guys to fill those spots. But when I see a play, like when they lined up with that bunch, the Steelers I'm talking about, that bunch formation on the goal line, and you had... Nathan Geriatric, you had Singleton, and they were just like, I think uh, I think Matt even mentioned that Malik Jackson was back there, and you had these, you had them waving their hand. I don't even know what was going on. They clearly didn't know what was going on. Even if it's a lack of talent, that is a lack of coaching. That is that's um, unacceptable in my opinion. Um, so I think Sh Schwartz needs to 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 own. Um, some of these things a little bit that, more. And I that think was one of the most frustrating plays to watch, Andrew, just, just to drive that point home. Yeah, that was, that, that was more frustrating to me than Nathan being on Claypool on that touchdown across the middle. That was, you know, so clearly a mismatch. Um, Miscommunication. Yeah. That's a good point that it, that does fall on the coach's responsibility to make sure his players are in the right place. Know what, the offense is showing them and know how to react accordingly. They looked lost and there was no chance of stopping that play. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And, and, you know, is the, it's those plays that it goes back to, is that just a lack of talent or is that just coaching that is not putting these guys, regardless of talent in a position to succeed. So um this is a topic I think we could probably discuss for hours, but um, Chris, yeah, I'll, I'll and, and we may have more to discuss next week and we're going to get to the Ravens in just a minute, but a couple more things. Uh, JJ Arthago Whiteside records his first catch of the season, uh, a 37 yard or a difficult catch, which was completely meaningless. And not only was it meaningless, it could have been meaningful had he uh, gotten up, given the ball to Kelsey and he quick snapped it and, and uh, spiked it. We might've been able to, to kick a field goal before half where we weren't going to be able to get the ball back. Um, it was just, uh, you know, another chapter in this calamity of, of having drafted J.J. Ortega, Ortega Whiteside in the second round. Um, he didn't even earn the TH, I got to say. I all in like all, though, that's fair, Chris. It was a sweet catch. Gotta go. um, it was a sweet catch, but it's, it's not really his fault in terms of the awareness of time, uh, because really that was the play before with Hightower where he should yeah. have gotten out of bounds. However, JJ makes this play he should have a sense of urgency to, to at least try and it was time was running out he still may not have gotten it but that's the sort of effort I wanted to see from him I will say I did see him make a really great block uh during uh Miles Sanders touchdown run but that's that's saying something that we're yeah, highlighting a block by a second round wide receiver Matt picked uh, up on that as well he he said JJ his first great play was a block <laughs> yeah um, in terms of another receiving target, uh, albeit a tight end, Zach Ertz uh, in this game really um, looked lost and broken are the words that I wrote down here on today's agenda. Uh, wondering if this is a contract issue. Uh, he used to have just a rock solid connection with Carson Wentz, seemed to be such a, a go-to target. Their, their, um, 
their passing uh, connection was almost automatic. It seemed like, especially in terms of getting first downs, um, he seems not only disinterested, he also doesn't seem to be a, a focal point of the offense to me. Um, so I, I'm not sure what I'm seeing there. And Mike mentioned before the podcast that so much of the topic of Ertz is speculative and he is going to be a target. And I'll just say that uh, for other teams at the trade deadline, I'm certain that Howie Roseman will be entertaining calls from other teams who recognize what's going on with the Eagles and, and what's going on with Ertz, Ertz in his contract situation. Injuries coming out of the Steelers game included Lane Johnson, who was in and out a couple of times and wound up leaving the game on a cart. Uh, he has sought some medical opinions, but uh, was held out of practice. Is that right, Andrew? Uh, sorry, I was distracted. I was looking on my phone. Uh, it's yeah, okay. Lane, he was Lane, held out talking about Lane? Yeah, Lane yeah. was not a, a participant. Um, okay. And then Slay, who I think you're going to get to, uh, yeah. was, was limited. Yeah, and he's in a concussion protocol, which I didn't really see him take like a, a headshot or, or anything like that. But certainly um, it was a physical game against the Steelers. And, and obviously he, come at, he came out of the game that way, but was limited today in practice. So we're going to shift gears to talk about this upcoming game against the Ravens. And I think as Eagles fans, we're just looking at this. It's like, you know, you're, you're dead tired from working one eight hour shift and you're about to clock into another even more grueling, uh, you know, 16 hour shift or something like that. Uh, Just really a long look ahead at this Baltimore Ravens team. That's been really successful, mostly behind um, Lamar Jackson and, and their defense, which is, I uh, believe a record of 20 games uh, straight with a turnover with the defense having created a turnover. So uh, lots to tackle there for the Eagles, but uh, right off the top, I want to open up with a, a question. Do you guys as fans think it's even remotely possible the Eagles can win on Sunday? Andrew. Um, yeah, I'll start here and I'm, I'm sure this will actually shock you guys, but um, the answer is no. <laughs> uh, the answer is no, we have no shot, but let's, let's look at it a little a little bit here. So I, I think it does depend on what team shows up for the birds. Um, more specifically, what side of the ball shows up, what type of offense are we going to get with, or what type of um, defense is going to show up? Are we getting Steelers defense that got gashed or are we getting, um, you know, the, the Bengals defensive line that got eight sacks. Um, that's going to be huge and a, a, a differentiator for us to, to at least stand a chance here. Um, it's going to take a unified effort between the offense and the defense. And then, yeah, let's sprinkle the special teams in there too. Let's, let's have uh, put them in bad field position. Um, maybe let's get a turnover. Maybe Kayvon can get a, get a special teams turnover again. Um, yeah. I think we, you always have to watch out for Lamar, right? Reigning MVP. Um, he's been pretty subpar though uh, this year. I think he's second to last in yards passing. Um, but he's so athletic, so dynamic, and it really hasn't impacted Baltimore's ability to steamroll um, competition. They had a tight game and a tough one against Kansas City, as, as many teams have, have suffered the same fate. Um, but other than that, I think they've, they've won all of their four games by, um, by over, you know, two touchdowns or something like that. So, um, But a lot of points. Yeah. And, you know, they have a, an incredible rushing offense. I think um, – uh, let me see here. Yeah, Jimmy Kemsky um, put a little table together, but uh, they're first in rushing attempts, rushing yards, uh, yards per attempt, um, rushes over 20 yards, 40 yards, first down, like everything is, is on the ground with them. Now, does that play into our favor? Because we are um, very good against the run and have been, um, especially this year. Connor 
Connors last week beat us uh, on a couple times and those jet sweeps got us, but I think um, we should feel confident against the run, but you know, I think uh, if we don't turn the ball over um, and maybe we can snag a turnover too, I do believe there's a chance for us to cover the seven and a half point spread. Oh, <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. So without, yeah, without delving maybe too deeply into our predictions, Mike, what are your thoughts just in terms of like even possible? Or are you like, no way? How are you feeling on it? So the or logic, you know? the logic part of my brain says absolutely no way. Um, well, you are a scientist. I, Very logical. I transitioned careers at one point to become a scientist. So yeah, I guess that part of my brain definitely says no. Um, the Eagles just don't have, you know, they have a really terrible linebacking crew. They don't have the best secondary. The defense might get torched all day, especially from Lamar just scrambling and running for yards. Um, I think it's going to be really frustrating him extending a series for that offense on the Eagles defense. Now the Eagles fan in me says, yes, there is always a chance they can out of nowhere come up with a really good game. Prime example, last year against the Green Bay Packers, we were going into um, Lambeau Field thinking this is a loss. And somehow we put up, I think, 38 points that game to beat the Packers on their home turf. Um, and, you know, I'm looking at the Ravens games so far this year. They're four and one. The most points they've scored is. 38 against the Browns in week one. Um, if we can put, I think we need to be able to score something about 34 plus points in order to have a chance <laughs> to win this game. Jeez. <laughs> Unless it's going to be a low scoring game. Maybe it, maybe it is, but um, 34 points, I would say wins you the game. If you can score that. Um, so well, let's see. Let's see here. Let's see what they have to offer in terms of offense. So obviously the first person that we've mentioned already is Lamar Jackson, uh, who really is the first truly mobile quarterback that the Eagles have faced so far this year. Realistically, the Eagles have faced Dwayne Haskins, Jared Goff, Joe Burrow, Nick Mullins, and then Ben Roethlisberger last week. Now, Ben is the great, mobile. The great Nick Mullins. The great Nick Mullins. Uh, sorry, sorry for the disrespect, Nick. Put some respect on your name. Um, but I think that he does pose a certain kind of threat. I have to hope that uh, in terms of the stat that Andrew mentioned about uh, sort of his game lacking in yards and, and that being sort of the knock on him in general, right, is that he, he has the ability to create as an athlete but um, doesn't have the most confident or consistent arm or, or is, is uh, not, as, not as strong in the passing game. So uh, if he chooses to do so, however, he's got a lot of options, one of whom being Marquise Hollywood Brown, who I wanted the Eagles to draft. Uh, Devin DuVernay, who they got this year, Miles Boykin, uh, who I believe was last year, James Prochet from this year. Again, this is like a who's who of uh, wide receivers I would have loved to see the Eagles get. And then Willie Sneed, who's been in the league for a while, and it's one of those like annoying receivers with the little fro that hangs out the back of his helmet and just frustrates you every time he makes a good play for a first down. In addition to that, he's got Mark Andrews, one of the better tight ends in the league. If Nate, Gary, Jerry, Barry, geriatric plays, he's absolutely going to get roasted uh, in this game. And my sincere hope is that um, Jim makes significant changes at the linebacker position or at the very least the linebacker scheme uh, to account for what's probably, you know, one of the top five tight ends in the league, I'd say Mark Andrews, especially uh, coming off of last season. 
Um, they drafted J.K. Dobbins, again, a player I wanted the Eagles to get. This is, again, a who's who. Mark Ingram, who has consistently done damage to the Eagles uh, when he was with the Saints, and then Justice Hill. So they have uh, quite a few options there that if Lamar doesn't run it, that they can run it too. But, um, you know, I think that the question comes from a defensive standpoint. If the Eagles are able to win this game, how are they going to be able to hold up? So just from a defensive standpoint, um, I think we have to agree if the Eagles – are able to get a turnover or two in this game, they really have a chance. Um, but if they're not able to, which, you know, it's been a kind of a drought this year so far that, that it is going to be a blowout that, that Lamar may be able to just have his way. You know, Andrew said his, his numbers have been kind of pedestrian this year. It's like, Oh, the Eagles will help him get right. You know, kind of thing. The negative, the Negadelphian in me says that, but um, from a schematic standpoint, if you're Jim Schwartz this week, let me frame it that way. Mike, let's start with you. If you're Jim Schwartz this week, what's your methodology here? Because this is a, a major threat coming in, not just the quarterback, but the entire offense and, and a pretty decent offensive line also. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing, have, line. one thing you have to consider uh, in terms of the coaching you want to do to the defensive line, I think you need to play very controlled this week. You're not going necessarily for the sack because you know, Lamar can escape that. Um, and that's the strength of our defense. So staying in your lanes as a defensive lineman, controlling the field is really a big part of it, especially if they're game planning for Lamar to beat them with his legs. Um, if that's the case, staying in your lanes really key. And then maybe, padding the line with problem is we don't have good linebackers but padding the line with some extra players to fill in those pockets he might run to um now maybe we do get a couple pressure plays on him and the secondary might be able to come up um if they have good coverage you know with a turnover but you know i guess that's my thinking uh what what i would do andrew do you, do you have any thoughts um, yeah, no, I think you brought up a good point, Mike, with um, stay in your lanes, right? You have to have this kind of containment type of situation. And I know, you know, uh, while we would love to get pressure on Lamar with some blitzes, I don't know if we can get home, as you, uh, you know, as you mentioned. And, um, you know, that just leaves you vulnerable on the back end. Um, Hollywood Brown scares me as a, a, a deep threat pretty much every time he runs a route. Um, but I, I don't think he's necessarily going to be the biggest impact. Um, it's that Mark Andrews matchup against the linebackers that, that scares me. Um, it's their um, four headed monster at this point. Um, Gus Edwards is another running back, maybe one of the, one of their, their better running backs um, more so than, than Ingram. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're going to need uh, Barnett and Graham to stay home on motions and sweeps, which we struggle with. Um, they've been better, but you got to really try to bottle in Lamar. Um, if we blitz, uh, I, I, uh, that scares me. But then if we run a soft zone, that scares me. Um, I, I don't know what Schwartz's game plan is going to be. Um, maybe you kind of bring everybody up to the line. You blitz some, you drop some, and, and you, you try to cause some confusion, some diversion, um, maybe with some people moving around. But I don't know. This this secondary is is um, uh, young, and I don't know if all of that misdirection and, and art um, 
secondary is going to be too complex. So I don't know, contain, contain, contain. I don't know how you do that, but, but you have to. Yeah, they're definitely going to have to play disciplined football. And I think the containment part is big into that. Uh, I almost wonder if Schwartz might take the approach of uh, let him beat us with his arm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, kind of force that, force the agenda that way. Uh, and if that's the guy with Lamar Jackson. Say that again. Easier said than done when you're facing Lamar Jackson. Absolutely. But I think there has to be a sort of um, – there has to be a period of sort of feeling it out in this game. And I think part of that has to be that if they let him throw the ball, is he successful? Because I think the D line is still going to create pressure um, whether there's you know mm-hmm. zero blitzes or not. Um, but just to touch on the D line for a second, uh, just this year uh, against the uh, Washington Redskins or Washington football team, excuse me, in game one, the Eagles had three sacks. They lost the, they played the Rams the next week. They had one sack. They lost. They played the Bengals. They had eight sacks and in a very obscure game. They tied. Uh, against the 49ers, they had five sacks. They won against the Steelers last week, just one sack and I believe two uh, quarterback pressures and they lost. So, you know, it's clear that them getting home uh, is something that makes the defense sort of go. I mean, Eagle strength and only strength is their defensive line. But if they're all out blitzing early on, uh, Baltimore's going to have their way. So I think Jim's going to have to take the pulse of things a little bit and sort of figure out what's going on uh, with Lamar and with his mindset that day. But I, I wonder if he starts out that way to say, go ahead and beat me with your arm. Let's see if, let's see if we can cover. And if that's the case, it's going to be imperative that uh, Darius Slade be healthy and, and be out of concussion protocol and eligible to play for this game, because on the back end, he really is the only other strength we have without much in the, um, in the middle of the field. We discussed the linebackers enough tonight, but do something, Jim, do something, do something with the linebacker position. <laughs> Um, they need to create turnovers. Josh, uh, honestly, save your job, Jim, because it could be his job. You know, it could be. And I think it's a situation where uh, on a lot of podcasts I listen to, the predictability part of it is really what what is becoming the biggest critique. And I think anytime that happens, it's time for a change, especially in the NFL, which is a copycat league. Um, but the need to create t- turnovers is crucial. As I mentioned, uh, in my opinion, they'll need a defensive score uh, to be able to win this game. Um, and, and maybe more than one turnover, maybe a couple turnovers to really be able to sort of set a tone. Uh, they are going to be at home. There will be fans there. That's a sort of a detail we neglected at the outset. It was announced, I believe on Tuesday of this week um, that 7,500 uh, fans would be able to attend the, this Sunday's game at the link. So uh, let's hope there's a little bit of a does anybody know how the tickets are being distributed? I do actually. I listened to a podcast with uh, Dave Spadaro and uh, Don Smolinski, the president. He kind of explained the tiering system. So I guess for anyone who opted in, they're kind of in the first tier. And then for anyone who opted out, they're kind of in the second tier. So they're offering the tickets to, you know, all the opt-ins first and then secondarily, I guess, to all the season ticket holders, excuse me, that is uh, no. that opted out so beyond that i'm sure it's just kind of second resale okay i was talking to uh stat matt today and i was asking if uh joey devlin would be going down to any of the games because he always goes down every season he uh buys into some season tickets with some friends um it sounds like mama devlin shut it down joey's gonna have to watch from home so joey Joey is on the couch and i would say that we are now paying members of those season tickets. So it's, it's Joey oh. Devlin oh. And, and family. <laughs> so you would invite, you'd have to invite your dad. I, yeah. So there's a chance, Andrew, <laughs> you may attend a game this year. Maybe. 
Okay. I, well, we'll, have to, I, well, I think that's interesting for the pod. We'll have to keep um, kind of tabs on that. And I think from a fan viewing experience, it'll at least be a little different seeing some fans in the stands, um, you know, 10% of, of the capacity or whatever, but we have to hope that that's going to be uh, a difference maker. And especially if that's able to sort of get some vibes going and get them to create some turnovers, but who are you seeing as a defensive player in this game? If, if possible, uh, Andrew. Yeah, for me, um, and I, I just mentioned his name, but I think Derek Barnett is going to be my defensive player of the game. I think he's had a really strong season. Um, maybe not on the stat sheet, maybe not dynamically, but I, I feel like, and I think we talked about him on one of our early podcasts as somebody who needed to step up this year. Um, and I've been very critical of him not being able to stay home. Um, he's always seemingly beat on the outside. I think he's done a, a, a very good job this year of, of as Mike said, uh, staying in his lane um, and doing some containment. Um, he had a nice stick last week. And um, look, it, this game, if we have a chance, uh, as we've talked about multiple times, is going to come from our defensive line. So uh, you're going to need uh, our edge rushers to be big. And I think it's going to be Barnett in this game. Mike, who are you Who are you feeling? Who do you think yeah, that's step up? That's a real tough one. I'm kind of um, I'm kind of drawing a blank as as to who would step up in this game because my confidence in the defense overall is it's not very high. But assuming um, he's able to play on Sunday, I think uh, this is the time for Darius Slay to really impact and possibly save Jim Schwartz's season like we were saying so yeah I guess I'll go slay assuming he plays yeah I'm, I'm gonna go with sort of the captain of the defensive line and Fletcher Cox I think Fletcher is gonna have to have a really big game uh, for the defensive line to be able to sort of tee off and I think as part of the containment that we talked about also and the discipline in the run game uh, both through the the multiple running backs that they have as Andrew mentioned but also Lamar as a running threat so I'm going with Fletcher Cox Andrew did stat Matt have a defensive player of the game uh, Chris, come back to me. Let me check uh, what he sent over. I don't believe so. Um, but if okay. I was a if I was a betting man, I bet he would have picked um, Nathan Geriatric. Yep, it's right here. Nathan Geriatric as as Matt's. Um, yeah, he went Mike. He went with Brandon Graham. BG. Mike signaling. He went with yeah BG. <laughs> so uh, let's hope BG does have a big day. And I think he's one of the best um, run defenders as well. So hopefully that he plays a role. Yeah, I think he, he's thinking the same thing as me. As you know, we need the uh, the edge rushers to to really get home. Okay, so he's right. got BG. Well, let's, let's... I've got uh, I've got Barnett. All right, so we have, and I I chose a defensive lineman and Fletcher Cox as well. And, and Mike, let's hope Darius Slay is able to play in the first place. But yes. um, but let's hope he does have a big game. Let's transition to talk just briefly as we run down to the end of the episode tonight about uh, the Eagles offense versus the Ravens defense, which is formidable. Like I said, the Ravens defense, I believe the streak is 20 games uh, with a defensive turnover. So uh, they've really been productive and uh, they get after uh, the offense in a lot of different ways. And I think they're going to have a, a, a tall order. Wentz and the offensive line are going to be uh, really put to the test. And I think Lane's condition coming into this game is going to be an important factor for Carson's confidence. Uh, if not, I, I have seen Jack Driscoll play some good ball. I just, you know, if, if it's able to be Lane, great. If not, 
Let's hope Driscoll can hold up and, and play a little bit more consistently. I think his issue has been having good snaps followed by uh, kind of head scratcher moments. But uh, the Ravens defensive line, you know, Calais Campbell and, and many others who can do a lot of damage, um, you know, they're, they're in a position where they're coming against a team that struggled with any sort of defensive games and, and they're dealing with the offensive line that's shuffled around a lot. So uh, they're going to be probably looking to, to get after Wentz as much as possible and confuse him and confuse the offensive line in terms of sort of passing off defenders from one to the next. Um, but uh, I think the run game is something that will have to be effective this week and over a longer period and um, being able to really establish the run game early and go back to it and lean on it uh, as the game goes on to establish some kind of a flow. If the Eagles win this game on Sunday, it'll be because they, they settled into some kind of a rhythm. And we started to see that uh, in San Francisco. We started to see it in spurts in Pittsburgh, but kind of disrupted. If they can put together a whole game like that, it'll, it'll probably be because they were able to establish a, a strong run game. I, I think it would be great to see Miles break 100 yards. I think he's gotten close, uh, but has not broken up to like even 95 or 98 eight or something but hasn't broken 100 so be great to see him have one of those days this weekend and keeping Lamar and the offense off the field uh is a sort of a must so that's big I think moving forward here um Fulgham uh Travis Fulgham who we touched on much earlier in the podcast uh Andrew said it'll be interesting to see how he fares this week he's definitely going to draw more attention everyone's seen that tape um, and obviously he's made waves across the NFL with his performance. So it's going to be on John Hightower or Quez Watkins, who are the younger draft picks to come in. Uh, Hightower, we kind of skipped over earlier, but had kind of a rough outing against the Steelers, missed a play in the back of the end zone where he seemed to completely misread the pass. Hit him um, in the hands, Chris. It went through his hands. I went mean, through he, his hands. He honestly jumped when he didn't have to. That's watching the replay. That's the thing that's really upsetting. If he just would have kept running, he probably just would have caught it. He certainly uh, looked like the uh, 168th pick in the draft. Yeah, he looked like a fifth-round rookie both then and when, like he caught that pass, when he caught that pass before half and wasn't able to get out of bounds just before the J.J. catch. That was really on Hightower for the reception before, which was a good catch, but then he needs to get out of bounds, and he did not. So uh, one of those two high, uh, late draft picks, excuse me, John Hightower, Quez Watkins, is going to have to make a play or two in this game. Uh, because Travis Fulgham and Zach Ertz, who we touched on earlier, will probably draw some attention. But I think it's going to be important for Ertz to be a part of this game plan and, and to reestablish him a little bit. But I think the, um, the middle of the Ravens defense, some of their linebackers pose some serious problems that way. So I think he, he's going to have to show something in this game. And I just have to hope he gets over whatever gifts he's got because the last few weeks he's, he's just not been himself. Um, I think, you know, if there's any topics you guys want to hit on, I think we kind of loosely covered the offense in a way, but uh, the O-line is what I'm really kind of wondering about. If Can they hold up? You know, there's been some still some shuffling parts with Lane in and out with the exchange of him and Driscoll, but there hasn't been a whole lot of stability there, and they're coming to a defense that is very productive. So um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? You know – Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Um, I was going to – uh, just bring up something that Matt Matt put in. Um, so he uh, Matt Matt made reference to the fact that Driscoll in the last game um, after Lane went down uh, allowed zero pressures on seventeen pass block snaps. And overall, Driscoll's been really solid uh, filling in for Lane so far this season. That's been a big positive. Um, you know, Lane Johnson's our best uh, offensive lineman. The fact that Driscoll's come in and kind of 
stabilize that position has been huge for us. Um, that, you know, I, I mean, if anybody has something to say on Driscoll, um, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say real quick, and not so much about Driscoll, who I have been very impressed with, but more so that the, the uh, compliment to Howie earlier about the O-line, Howie did bring in some O-linemen, but it's really on Stoutland to me, the, coach, the offensive line coach, uh, and what he's been able to do with all these moving parts and, and to create some you know, continuity and, and to have even any productive games, putting in rookies here and there and moving them around the line and Herbig who had no experience before this year. But, um, you know, I, Andrew, I didn't know if you had any thoughts on um, that idea of sort of the O-line being a question mark heading into this game or your worry level for them. Or are you good on the O-line? Do you feel like they'll, they'll, they'll hold it down? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm completely okay with the uh, offensive line. I think there's a lot of other areas to, <laughs> to worry about. Um, my, my biggest, it's not my biggest worry. I shouldn't say that. Um, one of my uh, biggest concerns has been our opening series game plan. Um, we don't do anything with the ball on our first drive. Um, against, yeah, against Washington, um, we actually did get really good field position. I think there was three passes and we actually scored since then against the Rams, three plays, a fumble by Sanders, the Rams score the next possession against the Bengals, six plays, one week, first down Carson throws an interception against the 49ers three and out second series of that game was an interception. And then against the Steelers, three plays, negative eight yards. Carson took that really bad sack on third and 10. Why can we not start off the game with some positive um, production. I, I don't get that. You have all week to at least, you could script out 10 plays. Uh, I, it's not working. And, I, and maybe that's uh, on Doug, maybe that's execution. I don't know. But that's five weeks. That's five different game plans. It's, it's frustrating. So that's kind of where my biggest concern is. Um, but uh, in terms of the offensive line, I think, you know, people have stepped up and, um I'm not going to pick them for my offensive player of the game, but I do think that they're probably one of our more uh, trusted, reliable uh, facets. Uh, of one the that I like that you hit on the slow starts because that's a, a sort of overlapping issue from last year. I mean, this and, mm. and going back really to even 2018. So, you know, slow starts have been something that have really plagued the Eagles. And, you know, I'm seeing a lot of like either, you know, handing the ball off to Miles and him getting one yard, this sort of false start. Uh, beginning to almost every game this year. They have to figure something out. Doug has to get creative here. Um, But I I think if the O-line, you know, I like Andrew's confidence, if the O-line is able to sort of hold up, then we can start to feel really good, not only about these young players, but the whole Jordan Mailata question uh, seems a lot clearer. So, Chris, on 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 the topic of, you know, like slow starts and maybe that lends into predictability of, Um, what the offense is going to do when they come out for the first series. I stat Matt put it in his notes. Um, You know, high tower has seen 44 snaps so far this season. He has five targets, two catches for 18 yards. That is piss poor production. And that lends itself to predictability. If he's not going to contribute to the offense, you know, get that guy out of the game, put somebody else in. Um, yeah, I guess that's what I'm just going to say. Fair enough. Well, let's get into some offensive players of the game. I think uh, Hightower has a lot to prove in this game. And, and because of the attention to Fulgham, he may have a chance to do something. So let's hope he does. 
Um, but offensive players of the game, who, who are you seeing making a, an impact here? I know it's, I feel like it's slim pickets, you know, even between the three of us, normally we're a, uh, a quartet, but what are you guys thinking? Um, I, for me, I have, I, I'm going to pick Greg Ward. Um, not because I trust him to have that big of an impact, but I think that they are probably, probably going to game plan around Ertz. Um, they're going to try to contain Sanders. Fulgham clearly after last week is going to be a focus. Um, so there might be an opportunity for um, a second receiver to step up. And I have to go with, with Greg Ward. He's been the most consistent. Um, he does have that report with Carson. You saw the touchdown catch. Um, I, I think maybe he, he has an impact uh, on the offense this game. That replay of the touchdown catch, he just mm. shook that guy on a head fake so mm. hard. And it was it was Joe Hayden. I mean, it's not like, you know, he's not beating nobodies. And the, right. the catch he had last year was against Josh Norman. I mean, they're kind of former somebodies, I guess. They're kind of the, the former wave of really great corners, but he's but still, still winning. considered, Mike, you know, elite or yeah. top of the class, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mike, who's your uh, offensive player of the game? Um, so, you know, going, going back to – some of the earlier questions in the podcast, the confidence that we have in Carson Wentz, you know, I really thought he's coming off one of his most solid performances so far this season, especially um, being resilient, keeping the Eagles in the game. I think this is the game where he probably doesn't turn the ball over at all and has his best QB rating. I think Carson carry puts this one. This one's, this one's on Carson. He's my, he's my offensive player of the game. All right. Um, I'm actually going to go with Miles Sanders. I, I think he, uh, I think he does break a hundred yards in this game. And I think it's mostly, you know, little bits here and there, maybe he rips a, a 15 yarder off somewhere in between, but I think he kind of gets the yards that he needs. Uh, and hopefully it's because Doug is sort of using the run game uh, methodically to break things up for Carson and, and also to sort of wear out the defense and keep Baltimore's offense off of the field. So I'm going to go with Miles Sanders, who seems to be the only rushing threat uh, for the Eagles this year. Uh, and, and let's hope he does break a hundred yards. So um, score predictions, let's break it down. The Eagles are hosting the Baltimore Ravens Sunday at one o'clock. Um, I'm sure we're getting the D team in terms of uh, announcers uh, but let's, uh, let's give some score predictions. Andrew, you already mentioned earlier that there was just no way. So how much are the Eagles going to lose it by this weekend? Yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to give two, but I'll stick, I'll, I'll eventually go with one. So my score first, predictions. Yeah. So my first instinct was 37, 22, um, Ravens. I'm going to give, uh, the birds an extra touchdown and a two point conversion. Cause we're home. We got the fans. Um, we're not going to cover, but, uh, oh no, we will cover. So we're going to get to 37, 30. We're going to cover that seven and a half line. Um, we will lose, but we will cover the spread. Everybody goes home a winner. <laughs> Michael, what's your score prediction? I mean, that's tough. Going back to, um, what I was bringing up earlier, most ports, most points, um, that the Ravens have scored so far this season is 38. Um, I think they'll probably be around that number given the defense they're going up against. I can't, I picked the birds every on for every week so far this season. So, I mean, let's go 35, 16 Ravens. Ooh, that's a, that's a strange score, but I, I, I could see it. 
Um, yeah, and it's, it's kind of a strange matchup. I think about the last time that the Eagles played the Ravens. I think it was Carson's rookie year, um, and they lost it trying to score a two-point conversion with Ryan Matthews trying to dive into the end zone and getting yanked backward. Um, it seems just impossible for the Eagles to win this game just based on everything they have going on, uh, based on the last couple of weeks and the way things have been going, the limitations both on defense and offense. But there's some sort of weird feeling about this game this weekend. I'm, I'm really struggling to, to come down to my prediction, but I, I feel some sort of weird way that, that there's a chance come on, uh, that the give Eagles can pull us, this Chris. off. Um, and, and I think it will take, Mike mentioned something about uh, 34 points. I don't know if it was on the pot or, or just before. So I'm going to go with Eagles 34, Ravens 28. Wow. Uh, again, not not totally sure uh, where it's coming from, but there is a strange vibe that I'm getting from this game. Uh, maybe it's the Eagles being at home. Maybe it's the um, you know the factor of the fans being there. Uh, maybe it's the law of averages hoping hoping that things turn around. But uh, I, I think they're if they're able to win this game, we have a really different sort of outlook on this season. Um, and you know, maybe I just look like an idiot next week. Who's who knows, but, uh, I think it's, it's one of those situations where all the money is sort of stacked on one side. And, uh, if, if the Eagles would pull it out here, we'd all be like, wow, they pulled it off, but we'd be like, that's what they do. So, you know, it, it, it has that sort of dual nature being an Eagles fan. So we, we have two losses, uh, in our trio tonight, uh, and, and me seeing them with a win. I'm imagining stat Matt thought that they were going to lose just based on his other commentary. He uh, did predict a loss. I figured as much. And if that were the case, just to go with the majority, uh, the, the Eagles record would sink to one, four and one. And then we're talking about some very different topics next week. Uh, should that be the case or not? Uh, I have been thinking about including uh, sprinkling in a little bit of draft knowledge for 2021, uh, just to have some look ahead material. Nothing we'll spend a whole lot of time on on the podcast, but uh, just things to look ahead, whether the Eagles are able to turn around or not, just little nuggets of information about some players that might interest them moving forward. So again, Sunday, one o'clock, Andrew sees a loss, Matt sees a loss, Mike sees a loss, Chris maybe stupidly sees a win. Uh, let's hope the Eagles can find themselves on Sunday. Go birds. Go birds. Go birds.